Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. You know who it is. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Next two days, depth chart preview for 2021. We're going to go through who's here, who might start, what the two deep will look, by, look like, and discuss all the ramifications of that as everything becomes uh, pretty clear, pretty clear so far on who will be on this roster in 2021. Nathan, before we get started, we're recording this around noon on Tuesday, uh, a couple NFL declarations or lack of declarations that have not been made publicly that like nobody made an announcement that they're coming back, but the deadline to declare for underclassmen has passed and we haven't heard. So specifically, I guess, you just texted this out. Seven Banks, Nicholas Petit, Frere, Josh Proctor are the three main ones for underclassmen. Are, are we, we're just assuming at this point that if they didn't say anything, they're going to be here. Yeah, not only that they didn't say anything, but it hasn't leaked out anywhere else that, that they aren't coming back. So my, my assumption is all three of those guys decided to come back, which I think we all expected. But just one of those things for, for posterity, you like to get absolute clarity. So I'm still chasing that. I'm still reaching out to people trying to get absolute clarity that none of those guys are, are bailing. That's a Baird solo slogan, I think. For posterity, you like to get absolute clarity. That's how Nathan Baird wow. goes about it, man. Leave nothing to chance. Report until you're dead. Mine would be just like, oh, make it up as you go along. What does it matter? <laughs> it's only a podcast. So, um, and then Haskell Garrett is the other decision, as we have talked about, as you have talked about, Nathan, that, we, you know, he's, he's not an underclassman. They have until March 1st, but we're doing the defense on a separate day. So, you know, I think for now you operate like he's going to be here or, or you operate however you want to operate, but we don't have to do it today because he's not on offense. So, Nathan, you have come up with your version of, did you do it? You did Two deep for each position? I did it too deep, yes. So we are going to work through that and discuss it and see where we agree, see where we disagree, talk a little bit about where maybe they'll be better, maybe they won't be quite as good at certain positions. So why don't we start on the offensive line? We'll save receivers for a little bit later because that's going to be complicated. We'll save quarterback for a little bit later. That's going to be really interesting. It's it's an interesting offense. So – why don't we just start on, well, how do we say this? I guess you should give us the whole too deep at the start because, you know, if you have a guy projected as a starter here, but we think he might be a backup at a different position, we need to know that. So who is your projected starting offensive line and your projected backup offensive line? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it down as you say it so we can keep track. 
So should I give the two deep at each position or should I give the starters and then the backups? Why don't you give the starters and the backups? Okay, so my starting offensive line that I, I sketched out, Thayer Munford at left tackle, Paris Johnson Jr. at left guard, Harry Miller at center, Matthew Jones at right guard, Nicholas Petit Frere at right tackle. All right, and who are your backups? Backup left tackle, Dewan Jones, Enoch Vamahi at left guard, Luke Whipler at center, Ryan Jacoby at right guard, Max Ray at right tackle. And then what other, uh, what other offensive linemen are around that uh, did not make your two deep that we just need to have, a, have in mind here a little bit? Sorry, I don't have that up on my screen right at this second, but I can do Grant it. Grant Tutant, Josh Fryer, right. Jacob James, Trey LaRoe, all those guys. Um, ben Christman and Donovan Jackson and Zen Wachowski. So the, so the first group True of guys that I said in, yeah. are, the, are the guys who are sort of those lower-rated guys from uh, the previous class, and mm-hmm. then this is this higher-rated group of guys uh, who are the true freshmen coming in. But before we dig into the two deep, specifically those freshmen coming in, Stephen, Ben Chrisman, Donovan Jackson, Zen Machalski, is there any of those three that you think need to have serious consideration as maybe being a contender to, to make the two deep here? Yeah, Donovan Jackson, a five-star guy, um, should probably be in the two deep as a second-string right guard. As I mean, you just lost Wyatt Davis. And, I mean, we've seen five-star interior linemen make the two deepest true freshmen. Harry Miller just did it two years ago. At, wow, two years ago now. Um, and he didn't show up as a mid-year guy. He didn't get here till, till June, just like Je- Donovan Jackson won't get here till June. If I'm remembering correctly Wyatt Davis didn't get here until June either. So I, I think the expectation is he should come in as the number one guard in the country and the number 17 player in the country and make the two deep. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. What do you think about that idea, Nathan? Did you give Jackson much consideration there as a, as a potential guy who'd be a snap away from coming in if somebody got hurt? There's just so much returning talent this year that I mean, it, it's a totally plausible argument. I think you can easily see him winning that job. It just um, I, I deferred to the guys who, at least on day one, have the most experience. Yeah, Ryan Jacoby was a guy we saw him in there uh, getting some snaps even when spring practice started. Like he was definitely. Um, right there with the second team, the, the idea of the three tackles coming back and one of them playing guard, starting at guard has like kind of bumped some people down the list and has really given you some, some really good depth there. This is a, this is like a really good two deep. Is it not Nathan? Like when you I think it's, this yeah. together, it's really good, isn't it? It, I think it's great. And here's the other thing to remember about someone like Jackson, like let's say Thayer Munford hadn't come back. So you just slot, Paris Johnson Jr. in at left tackle. Are you really thinking that Jackson is going to beat out either Jones or Vamahi, or I guess even Miller if they kept him at guard and Whipler's no. going to start? Like, so that's what I'm saying, though, that all those guys are still in the mix, even when Munford comes back. I don't think he's going to necessarily beat those guys out for a second string job either. I, 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 I don't think he would have been a starter. I, I do think he would have been in, this, in the two deep in that situation 100%. I, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in here with some of the film I've seen and the way some people have talked about him, and he comes in here and he does win a second-string second job as a five-star guy. Yeah, I, I think, think it's just worth considering. Ryan Jacoby is – I mean, you know, he's the guy who's not as, as huge of a recruit. Vamaki, 
you know, as a backup at, at guard, that's a guy that was a yeah. top 150 national recruit. I think it makes sense to have him slotted in there. And it's Another just a thing, lot of this. Go ahead. I want to say something real quick about Vamahi. I left him here, but if people noticed, he was playing some tackle in the national championship mm-hmm. game, had warmed up at defensive tackle. I'm sorry. Um, so we don't exactly know where he fits on this roster anymore. And they could be really thin at tackle. If that's something that they're serious about, maybe we see him there next year. I don't know. But for now, what we know, I kept him on offense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, this, this is one of those where, you know, we, we were sort of joking about, oh, would you trade, you know, Tommy Tokii for Chris Olave kind of thing. You have a, a surplus at some positions and maybe a, a deficit of, of guys at, at some positions. Defensive tackle and interior offensive line are the same type of dudes, and they have a surplus at one and they're lacking at the other, especially if Garrett doesn't come back. So that idea, I mean, that's it's an excellent point you make, Nathan. Like, but that's not a throwaway line to me. We have seen this before. Again, I mean, it, we, we all know this. We all know the stories. Billy Price came here as a defensive tackle and changed the offense. Like, it does, it does happen. Especially these guys, you, be, you play both ways in high school. You're a receiver. You're a corner. You're an offensive lineman. You're a defensive lineman. You're a linebacker slash defensive end. You're a tight end. Cade Stover, right? I mean, like this is this is what happens. Wouldn't that make sense with Nathan, what you're going through, what you're looking at on this offensive line. And then when we do the defense tomorrow, I mean, this, that would make a lot of sense to me for a guy to make a move like that because a a defensive tackle, even if Garrett's back, I think Enoch Vamaki would have a chance to be in the two deep and they rotate a defensive tackle in a way they don't rotate on the offensive line. It, It feels like to me, Vamaki would have a chance to play on defense in 2021 where, I mean, he's probably not going to play on offense in 2021. And again, we, we haven't had a chance to really ask someone about that dynamic, why he was the one they picked and, and how much of that was just an emergency situation and protecting yourself, but it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And it, I think you're right. If, especially if Garrett doesn't come back, but even if Garrett comes back and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but that the defensive tackle depth chart is still so thin on like proven experience, especially with Togiai leaving that I know that he doesn't have a lot of experience playing defensive tackle at the big 10 level, but at least he has experience in the program. He has college football experience. He has that strength and that maturity and whatever that's built up over a few years. And you think that he could be some kind of, at least a reserve asset there. He was dressed to play both that night because he was still dressed up like he had all the, pa- the the knee braces, all the stuff that offensive linemen wear. So I'm pretty sure that was an emergency situation for them. But yeah, I do think between that, and we can get into this on the defensive one, but between that and some of these guys who came in classified as defensive tackles and they moved outside as ends, and we've seen them move ins back inside at three tech, that could be a, mm-hmm. you know, a possibility as well. But And, and Vamahi might is, not be the only one even that could make an offense to defense switch too. Yeah. I mean, go look at the – people can go look at our scholarship chart that needs to be updated now that everybody's making their decisions, and we'll be doing that in the next couple of days. But just, I mean, from the 2020 team, look at how many offensive linemen were glutted up in that freshman and sophomore class Mm -hmm. and then you got three new recruits coming in behind that i mean it wouldn't shock me at all if they pulled somebody up and moved them over to the other side outrageous prediction (laughs) paris johnson jr plays defensive end (laughs) oh yeah 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 you can go ahead and make that one you go ahead and move orlando pace jr to defense. yeah (laughs) um okay so let's talk about let's talk about tackle now uh specifically and we can talk about Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit Frere, and then Paris Johnson all here um, in the same discussion along these lines. So 
Did you hesitate at all, Nathan? Munford at left tackle, Johnson at left guard, Nicholas Petit Frey at right tackle. As you were arranging these guys, was it was it obvious to you, or did you did you struggle with it at all? I wouldn't say I struggled with it. Um, as far as making a projection today, I, I, people know me. Like I'm going to go more based on what I know rather than just trying to speculate. And I think what we know is Thayer Munford's been a three year starter at left tackle. We know that Nicholas Petit Fair came in and played right tackle as well as anybody in the Big Ten did last year. I don't know why you would necessarily mess with that formula. I, I understand the arguments about Paris Johnson Jr. and his long his long term situation. I think what we also don't really know yet either is like I guess the way I look at it, if you're let's say let's say Nicholas Petit Fair was or let's say let's say Paris Johnson was a better left tackle next year than Thayer Mumford would be. Let's say like one is a nine, like Paris Johnson Jr. is a nine and Thayer Mumford's an eight. But what if at left guard, Paris Johnson Jr. would still be an eight, but there Mumford's only a six. Your offensive line might still be better overall to keep Paris Johnson Jr. at guard. So those are kind of the things to monitor as we get into the spring and, and follow this team beyond that. But but I know you're just saying, for example, but like, why would you think that? Why would you think that 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 like Thayer Munford would be a six at guard, but Paris Johnson would be an eight? You're just saying theoretically. It's theoretical. Yeah, I don't have any reason to think that that mm-hmm. Paris Johnson Jr. is a better left tackle tomorrow than than Thayer Mumford okay. is either. I, I know you don't think that. Here's the thing that everybody has to ha- wrap their heads around here. At Ohio State, a lot of times, the young guys behind the older guys mm-hmm. are better. And so, like, we can't have, like, well, he's older and he's done it for three years. Paris Johnson is as talented as any tackle in high school in the last 10 years. So, like, the idea of, like, well, the old guy's done it, and I don't know why anything would be different. The reason anything would be different is Paris Johnson Jr. is a freak. That's why yeah. it would be different. So, like, you have to acknowledge that part of it, Nathan, right? That, I certainly like, acknowledge that part of it, but he didn't beat either of those guys out for a job last year either. As a true yeah, because he was an 18-year-old who got here in January. That, that has not, and now he's been in the program for a year, and he's got, even if it's a minimal amount of snaps, he's got some snaps under his belt. I, if he would have won a job that last year, that would have been historical. That barely ever happens. Michael Jordan did it in that in Orlando Pace. This is not that would that would have been unnormal if he'd have won the job last year. This year, if he wins the job, it's not crazy. But also to the point of uh, so who are you Thayer guys Munford picking him to beat out? Which one of those two tackles are you guys picking? Him I am to beat saying Thayer Mumford would be at left guard because that would be, that's the only way this would make sense is if. They feel like they see something in him at a, as a left guard that he can show value at the next level. So but it also puts Paris Johnson, the next Orlando Pace, at left tackle for at least. We need to, can we stop calling him the next Orlando Pace? Orlando Pace is the greatest offensive lineman of all time. Listen, Josh Myers. You are talking. underestimating the way you talk. You are stuck in what they did this year, and that this guy has yeah. more experience and this guy is younger. And this like, is a different argument. The, the, the Orlando Pace comparison is a different argument. Okay, it's a shorthand. He is as talented as a as a of a young offensive lineman, probably as Ohio State has seen since Orlando Pace. Nobody should be compared to Orlando Pace. He's obviously the best left tackle. Okay, that's all. I'm best left tackle. Okay, we can say that. We're saying don't treat him as like a young backup. But here is the other thing. Here is the other thing. What if it's at right tackle? Yeah. What if What if Nicholas Petit Frere becomes the right guard? And Paris Johnson Jr. becomes the right tackle. Now, I, I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know. We, d- we don't know any. Nicholas Petit Frere is listed at 6'5", 310. Uh, Thayer Munford is listed at 6'6", 315. And Paris Johnson Jr. is listed at 6'6", 305. So they're all in the same range. Nicholas Petit Frere is a shade shorter. 
sometimes the super tall guards don't work, right? Mm-hmm. I actually think, I actually probably think Paris Johnson probably makes the least amount of sense as a guard of the th- based on who they are, what their upside is, what kind of player they are. That if you just looked at them, if you just lined them up or you watched them play, I think you might and you'd like and, and experience didn't matter. I think you'd say that guy's a tackle. That guy has to play tackle, right? And then we'll figure out the rest. I, I really think you might do that. Now, of course, you don't throw out experience, and so we can't we can't go too far. I'm yelling at Nathan for counting experience. We can't ignore experience and just say, well, you know, they're absolutely going to move the two starting one of the two starting tackles when their two starting tackles were as good as any tackles in the Big Ten. You can't say that either. But it just it just feels a little weird to me of what I stated before about Paris Johnson not being stuck at guard, but that he would wind up there in the, in year two, Nathan, we've sort of centered this tackle discussion on Munford moving to guard. What about Petit Frere? Does any part of that sit any better with you or seem any more possible to you? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, I think those are the starting five offensive linemen next year. No, I know we're talking about tackles though right now. I know, but I'm just saying that like whatever, 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 whatever position they end up at, I think those are the five best. No, I know. Um, we agree. You already said that at the beginning. These are the five starters. Yes. We're talking about who's going to play tackle. So do are you more – do you like Johnson at right tackle and Petit Frere at guard any more than the idea of Johnson at left tackle and Munford at guard? I think it's it's similar. Um, with Munford, you still have that the, the, the extra two years of starting experience where he, he just knows that position inside and out right now. Um, so that maybe that – makes me think that's maybe even less plausible that putting him at right tackle, moving Petit Frere inside is the one that makes more sense. But um, again, I think what you guys are discounting a little bit is that I don't know that every tackle that comes in, even every highly rated tackle is someone that you automatically assume could also play guard at the level that Ohio state would want them to play it. But I do think that of Paris Johnson jr. I think he would be one of the best guards in the big 10 next year, potentially tackles more important than guard. Yeah. Right. You agree with that. Yes. Okay. Uh, Steven, what do you think? tackle, certainly. What do you think of the idea of of this happening at right tackle? That it's Petit Frere that bumps inside. Maybe. I'm not against that happening either, but I I don't know if that – I'm I'm less inclined to it because I think Nicholas Petit Frere showed some things last year as well as a guy who's probably going to play tackle at the NFL level. Um, I think that's kind of his goal as well. So it might just be easier to sell that to Thera Munford than it would be Nicholas Petit Frere right now. I'm not saying he, he'd obviously do whatever his coaches told you, told him to do, but I just feel like it's an easier selling point for a guy who's coming back for an extra year to sell this. Hey, you can add some versatility to your game. than the guy who just showed you in year one that, Hey, I can be at an all big 10 level, maybe even an all American level. And now it can be at an all American level in year four. Okay, so so let's let's zero in on this. Our prediction here on uh, January nineteenth, as we record this, which of these three? I think we all agree they are, as you said, Nathan. These three guys are all starters. So our prediction here on January nineteenth, which one of them ends up at guard? Nathan, you you're are you 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 have Johnson at left guard. Is that what your prediction when they take the field uh, in September? That's of the three. That's will be a guard is Paris Johnson. 
That's my lean today, yes. Steven, who, who's your prediction of which of the three ends up at guard? Fair. Okay. Our first market down. Wanna I'll, I'll actually I, – I actually might say NPF now. Um, but, but I would have Paris third. I, of the guard possibilities. I, I really think Paris is going to end up at tackle and they've got to figure this out one way or the other. So now we're split. All three of us are split on, on how that will work. Um, all right, so let's stay on tackle for a moment. Dewan Jones, Max Ray. Dewan Jones has been this fascinating guy. He's raw. He's got the, the skill set. We've seen him in there at times. Max Ray ended up kind of out of note. Not, I mean, they had to do it because they had so many uh, – absences because of covid max ray wound up starting at right tackle against michigan state and was good like absolutely did his job which is a reminder of how many good players are on this team that sometimes never get a shot max ray was a big time recruit had not been talked about very much they throw him in in a big 10 game for a team that makes the college football national championship and he does his job i think those are two obvious picks there nathan with Jones and Ray at tackle, I do think it's one of those where with these top three guys, if one of the tackles gets hurt, you bump the guard guy to tackle and you yeah. feel you fill in that way. But for the two deep, Jones and Ray, those are two pretty stinking solid backup tackles at the college level. I mean, I think this is a, I think it's a strong two deep all the way across. I mean, the one guy on here, I mean, I guess uh, supposedly some uh, some of these backups maybe haven't played that much, but they're guys who've at least been in the program for a while. Or Luke Whipler, uh, a guy who's been around now, who was a highly ranked guy. I mean, I, they're, they're strong, I think, across the board here. And that's that's what's, I think, interesting when you especially when you have these three freshmen coming in that sometimes there are years where maybe you have to rush those guys into a two deep spot. And now this year, I think those guys get to have what is the more conventional year of a, a big 10 offensive lineman and, and take that first year to red shirt and, and build themselves into what they are later. Um, Steven, are we, are we still like on the Dewan Jones train that like, he's going to, He's going to pop. He's going to turn into something here, or or is it is it possible he's going to be one of those guys that I don't know? It's just sort of like a project that sort of is a constantly under construction and never quite comes together. Maybe he reaches a point where like he's good, but he's not really ever going to start here, and he transfers. And not to put again, we're just talking. I mean, we like him. I think everybody's enthused by Dewan Jones, but now he's coming into year three, and he's no better than their fourth tackle in year three. Now it, by year four, Munford and Petit for a go. I mean, maybe, maybe then in 2022, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are your starting mm -hmm. tackles. That's certainly possible. Is that maybe the, the way we should still be thinking about him that this was a, was a project, but by year four and five at Ohio state, he very well could be a starting tackle. Is that still where you are with him? Yeah. I, I don't think he's, the way that they're recruiting offensive line. Now they did miss in, in 2021. So I think there is maybe a spot where maybe he's a one-year starter, but I think his, the best case scenario for him is maybe Josh Allaby, that guy who is there, the sixth best lineman. And if a guy goes down, he steps in for that game or steps in for those number of snaps and, and things really just continue to move smoothly because he's talented enough. But I don't think because I mean, what Paris Johnson and Nicholas Petit Frere are uh, what might end up coming in 2021. We'll see. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a starting role out there for him just with the way they've been recruiting offensive linemen. Even if it's not necessarily at the wide – the way they're recruiting wide receivers, it's still at a decent level at this point. That I don't know if there's a starting role for him. 
But who would who would start over him as early as twenty twenty two if both Petit Frere and Munford are gone? Well, if if Petit Frere, I mean Max Ray will probably still be here if that's the case because I, I think he's a redshirt. A redshirt. No, yeah, uh, Ray will be here. I mean, yeah. Max Ray was a much higher rated recruit Probably, than Dewan yeah. Jones. It's just, and we saw Max Ray. We saw Max Ray do his job. So, like, I guess that would be, yeah. I mean, if that becomes what that is, Dewan Jones versus Max Ray for that other spot, that could be a thing. But that's but, on like a roadblock. That's just a guy you'd have to compete with to win the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is interesting to look at this, and uh, you know, we. I think we knew it at the time, but I think maybe it worked out how everybody would have hoped. That big group of the guys we talked about, Tutant, Fryer, James, and LaRoe, from that, that, that those current freshmen right now who were those lower-rated guys that in the transitional recruiting year, they went out and grabbed all Midwest guys. And I, I don't mean this, but like as it turns out, they recruited so well everywhere else around them and developed everybody else so well around them that like we're not talking about those guys. And Yes, when they're older, they might be valuable death potentially, but now they have Jackson and Chrisman and guys like that coming behind them. They still have guys like Whipler and, and Miller and Johnson ahead of them that they're fine. And they're just, you know, at least in year two, which I guess is how it should be. Those are all developmental guys. Maybe a guy of that group will pop. Maybe by year three, four, five, one of those guys will pop as a starter. But, you know, it was, it was, they got this big group of guys and none of them are on your too deep Nathan nor were they nor should they be I mean they're just that's just not where they are or that's not what and it's not where they need to be right it's not like they're being forced into holy moly this guy was you know number 600 800 recruit in the country and now he might be a, a you know one injury away from starting as a sophomore yeah I mean obviously you can look around a whole roster and you're going to find a mix of guys who come in with huge expectations but also major opportunity kind of in the near future and you come in with guys with low expectations, but farther to go to reach that opportunity. And, and those guys fall into that. And the other thing we always talk about, like, one of, one of the phrases that keeps coming up on Buckeye talk is like, well, at Ohio state, like this is a thing that happens. And sometimes at Ohio state, you can be a fairly highly ranked guy like Max Ray. And maybe the only contribution you ever make as far to the offense is that one game at Michigan state where you went in and made sure Justin Fields didn't get killed. And that was like the one time you really got to make a big contribution and it doesn't like linger on in history necessarily, but you still help that team win and, and, and did a positive thing in your career. So that, that's the other thing that like, especially now, again, as you're saying, like there was a little bit of a lull, but now as you start hitting more consistently in the offensive line recruiting, you do wonder where, like where some of those other guys fit in. All right. So let's throw this in. Let's, let's get as specific with positions as we can, as we can. Let's each give a grade of one to 10 on how we feel about the overall position. That's the, the, the quality of the starters and also the quality of the depth. So let's do not offensive line. Let's do offensive tackle right now. Nate, a one to 10, Nathan, what is your, how would you rate tackle? for 2021 i mean if, if you're reserving 10 for the time when there is like an orlando pacing program i mean i would say now might be a nine you've got mumford and npf coming back from the seasons they had and paris johnson jr coming back towards the seasons he will have I, th that's pretty secure steven yeah i'm out of 10 I, I mean you've got two five-star guys who are the number one tackle in the country and a four-year starter and then behind that, you've got a top 150 recruit and a guy who looks like Thanos. Yeah, no, I would be a 10 too. Because the whole point is Orlando Pace can't get on the field for this team. 
That's how good they are. Orlando Pace can't even play his lateral position. I know he's making you mad. But I mean, really, I mean, it's they, they, knowing nothing about other Big Ten teams, they might have the three best tackles in the Big Ten. I don't know. There's probably some guy in Iowa. I get it. That's fine. We can figure that out later in the, in the year. I mean, that's how good they are. That's how good they are here. So, so I think that's really good. Let's move to guard. We had the Paris Johnson discussion. One of these three tackles will be a starting guard. So then the most interesting spot here is Matthew Jones. And let's not get caught up in left and right. It doesn't matter. Since one of the three tackles is taking a guard spot, there's only one other guard spot. You said Matthew Jones, Nathan, was that clear to you or what was your reasoning between uh, uh, for landing on Matthew Jones there? Yeah. I mean, he was clearly the next guy up this year and, and started there in some big games and I thought played well. Um, and obviously he was playing through some kind of an injury that, that sort of seemed to keep recurring, but uh, showed some grit there was able to come back into those games after dealing with an injury and, um, and was, and was a pretty highly ranked guy. I think people sometimes forget that, that he was, he wasn't um, one of these developmental guys. He, he was, he was fairly highly ranked. So he just seems like the guy, the, nat- the natural next guy to take one of these jobs. Steven, do you agree with that, or would you have gone with somebody else as the starting guard here? No, I agree with that. A top 100 guy in his fourth year in the program probably should be a starter. I think this might be, this might be an interesting thing to get into once the talent composite comes out. It probably won't come out till like, May. But this might be the most decorated offensive line when you're talking about recruiting talent in the country. I mean, just that, like – Paris Johnson was a top 10 guy. Petit Frere was like a top, not a top 10 overall player. Petit Frere was that. Harry Miller's a top 50 guy. Matthew Jones is a top 100 guy. Donovan Jackson coming in is like a top, what, 20 guy. But but just the starters, it's potentially, based off what we're saying right now, it's going to be potentially four guys who are the number one guy at their position coming out of high school and then a four-year starter. Jones was the number one guy at his position coming out of high school. Number one, yeah, he was a center. He's classified as center, number sixty-eight player, number one center in the twenty eighteen recruiting wow. class. Interesting. I mean, that is that is that is. It's like you saw this coming. Like this was they had the lull a couple of years yeah. ago with the offensive line recruiting, and then you saw how they started stacking it, and 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 it's really stacked right now. This so we'll merge this. You have to move the merge the guard conversation at least a little bit with the center conversation. Does anybody have any doubts about Harry Miller being the center next year? And I know it had been discussed along the way here, but Harry Miller as a starting center, Luke Whippler as the backup center, Matthew Jones as the starting guard, Nathan, any consideration to Luke Whippler as the starting center, Harry Miller as the starting guard, Matthew Jones as a backup, or or, are, are we fairly certain this is Harry Miller's deal. I'm fairly certain of it. I mean, you got to remember too, this is a guy who didn't have a spring before his freshman year, didn't have a full spring for, so he still has not really had a spring football. Like he's had like one week of spring football in two years and a guy who was already, I think a, a higher rated prospect than someone like Whipler. We saw what happened, even putting him out there as a true sophomore, I don't think there's any reason to believe right now that Luke Whipler would necessarily be better prepared than Miller was. I mean, especially for a position that's as important as center. So I, I'm deferring now to, and the fact that he has actually played in the game. I know he didn't play it especially well, but I'm, I'm, I'm in, very intrigued by what a full off season could mean for Harry Miller. Now that he has this experience at his feet going into his junior year. 
I'm going to keep yelling at you about this because there is at some point. So you used Harry Miller having trouble snapping it when he had to play center against Michigan State to justify the fact that Luke Whipler should, wouldn't be ready to be center because when Harry Miller was a young guy, he had trouble. Well, you said, well, when Harry Miller did it, he had trouble. So why would Luke Whipler? No, no, be- but, but Harry Miller's overall as a true sophomore, I thought had a lot of ups and downs, right? I think we've covered that extensively. I'm just saying that because of that, because of how much, look at how much, how much trouble he had at times as a true sophomore. I don't think either of us, any of us think that Luke Whipler came in as a better candidate, right? A better prospect right away than Harry Miller was. Right. So I, that, that lends me to think that he probably needs another year at least in the program, you know, building himself towards being a starter later. I would just, I think Harry Miller's the guy who's better prepared to do that from day one next year. I just think Harry Miller's finally going to get a spring football season. And he's going to have a full, like, when we're talking about full off seasons, I mean, he didn't get here till this, till June of his freshman year. And then we, I mean, last year is what, what happened. And so he's going to get a full off season to work with whoever the starting quarterbacks is going to be. Obviously that'll probably rotate throughout the spring who he works with as they try to figure this out, but he'll get a chance to work with the ones as a center. He won't just be thrown into that role 48 hours before you have to go play Michigan state. And I, I and in his third year in the program, he'll probably take a leap. I mean, Josh Myers in his third year, was a pretty quality center after not starting as a sophomore, as a top 50 recruit. I mean, I think I've said this on the pod before. I don't know that there was anybody on this team other than guys who actually contracted COVID-19 who was more affected by that this season than Harry Miller, because the guy that had to switch and make a position switch to play and start in the big 10 as a left guard, as a true sophomore. And then that season gets all chopped up. So I think it was harder for him maybe to sometimes build momentum. And then he does a position switch for one week and then switches back. And then he, then he gets it himself later on, obviously. I mean, it was just, I, I really want to see what he can do with a conventional year building towards the fall. I think he, I, 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 all of that makes me think he's probably the guy. So none of it, none of it is um, maybe Harry Miller's better at guard. Let's just start the Whipler clock at center now. And you can make Luke Whipler like a three-year starter at center and Harry Miller's a guard. It's because maybe, maybe that would just be better for Harry Miller to not have to do that stuff. It's more Harry Miller had a screwed up year and he is a big time dude and give him a real season of preparation and he'll own it and be awesome. That's where both you guys are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it, I'm not going to assume it. So I get, I mean, like I get it. I can't disagree with that. All of it makes sense, but uh, he struggled. I mean, like, so, so he had some struggles this year and lots of young offensive linemen do, but not all young offensive linemen seem to have as many struggles as he did. Now, obviously you both, you guys are right. I had every reason in the world to have him. So it just, is a matter of, do you just chalk it all up to, um, it was screwy. He's a center. He's the guy. He's talented. He's smart. He's good to go. But like Luke Whipler's talented and smart. And maybe you just say, you know what? Let's just not have Harry do this. Just he's a let's just make him a guard. Slide in Whipler and here we go. But this is more experienced. This is Harry Miller. Matthew Jones got a lot of experience this year. He's a fourth year guy. Harry Miller got a lot of experience this year. He'd be a third year guy. And you give Whipler another year to learn. This makes sense. This makes the most sense. But I'll be curious to see if Whipler makes a move at all, right? I mean, I, I do think – I think it's a good competition, right? Do you think that Whipler has enough? Because he would be the next guy up here, I think. Maybe Vamahi if he stays on offense. But but if we have these starting five, Nathan, and you said that, 
this starting five is really good. The most interesting guys among the backups to me, the number one guy would be Whipler. Can Whipler do something? Is that is? Do you agree with that idea, Nathan? That he's the sure. wild card. And and uh, what we were mentioning before, the concept of maybe if something happens with one of the tackles and you have to move, and Paris does start a guard, but then you move him outside to tackle, maybe there's a domino effect. Do you then try Miller at guard and move Whipler to center, or can Whipler step in at guard and be a backup guard? Um, that's what I was saying before, though. I think this is just this is a pretty deep, too deep. I think of, of guys that I think that they can count on. Maybe not all these guys are you know, obviously all big 10 level a year from now, but Matthew Jones wasn't all big 10 level this year, but he could come in and play really well for you. He could play for you in a college football playoff semifinal game and, and do good things if he had to. So I, I, I think this is maybe, I mean, you could argue this is the most other than the receiver, I suppose the most secure position group on the team. I feel like you could absorb a loss or two here and be okay. Yeah, yeah. I agree that Dewan Jones and Max Ray probably Maybe they wouldn't be great starters, but they're really good veteran backups at this point at tackle. But Mahi, how many Big Ten teams would they start for? I mean, Max yeah. Ray would be. They were really good against Michigan State. <laughs> I mean, Max Ray would be the the best offensive lineman at Indiana or whatever. And I don't. I'm just saying the top of my head. But I mean, not even not even just like Illinois. Not like saying like a really bad Big Ten team. I think Max Ray would be like a really good starter at a like pretty good Big Ten team. He's just behind these tackles, as we said before. Um, but it's almost like a perfect mix that Dewan Jones, when you think about the backups, Dewan Jones project coming along, interesting guy, Max Ray, big time recruit didn't pop, but still like doing his thing. Enoch Vamahi, like last minute, uh, Ryan day flies to Hawaii for 45 minutes, top 150 national guy. He gets here, but you're not desperately relying on him, but he's like a good solid football player. Luke Whipler, absolute future starter. It's just a matter of whether does it start does his Clark clock start as a starter in twenty one or twenty two absolute future starter Ryan Jacoby who knows good solid backup but Donovan Jackson absolute future starter just not as a true freshman but maybe as a sophomore like they have a good mix of young guys like Whipler and Jackson who are definite starters who just aren't yet and then some solid veteran guys who you really would feel good about if you had to play them and then your top five. I mean, your top five, you like might have like four All-American candidates at some point in their career there, right? If you think that the three tackles and Harry Miller all have potential All-American kind of ability, and that's your line, this is really good. And you're losing, I mean, it's like you're losing Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, and you feel this good. But the whole point is you didn't lose Munford. Because if you take Munford out of here, it's like normal good keeping Munford who's back as a fourth year starter lifts the whole level because all of a sudden like Luke Whipler's not starting, right? Cause Nathan, if, if Munford left, you just bumped Johnson to left tackle. And now you're deciding between Miller and Whipler, which one's the guard, which one's the center, but that's what we would expect. That's who would have moved up to the starting unit. If Munford wasn't here. Right. I don't know that I assume that Luke Whipler would be in position to start second year necessarily. Um, you could probably still make a case for someone like a Jacoby um, to to eventually win the guard spot over a second year Whipler, but it would I think he would have at least competed. I'm not ruling that out. I think there's a chance that a guy who was a top 100 kid as a, classified as a center starts with a second year. I'm not ruling it out. I think it would be a battle between him and 
and Jacoby and Enoch Vamahi for that sec for that left guard spot. You would have ruled out if Munford was gone that that yeah. would have started. Yeah, no, I, I would have gone with Whipler, but uh, but that's really good. It's really good. All right, that's a really good offensive line. I mean, really, Nathan, when you're going through this and they're losing a unanimous All American, and you're looking at it and you're saying, "Man, they are really good." Quite the deal. I mean, and I, like, I guess do we have to say are they going to be better? We, it's not even you know whatever that means, but we didn't necessarily think that the line played every snap of every game as like a complete cohesive unit. And a lot of it, part of this is going to be all of next year when we're comparing it to 2020, we're going to constantly be saying things like, well, COVID, right? And it's like, well, the talent on the offensive line this year was great. Maybe the cohesion took a little while. And then hopefully in 2021, that won't be an issue. So at some point, we're going to have to just tip our cap to, it might be hard but like everything in 2021 is going to be better because you're going to practice normally. So, yeah, but but the it, talent level is almost straight up as yeah. good, even losing a unanimous it, All-American. Yeah, the it original wasn't just starting the five didn't start another game after well, – uh, who did they play before Michigan State? They, they, they basically – they had a month and a half, and we didn't see the original starting five on the offensive line. Yeah, Indiana season. game, I think, was the last one, yeah. And yeah. it wasn't just the cohesion of the offensive line together. It was cohesion of pieces of the offense with the offensive. I mean, Trey Sermon talked about that, that it kind of took him a while to, like, I don't know how much there is to that, but that was a thing he said about playing with the offensive line and kind of figuring out those guys' tendencies and where things were going. So it, 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 last year it was choppy. Like, what are you going to say? I mean, this year should be more conventional. We hope, fingers crossed, knock on wood. All right, so we did offensive tackle, and Steven and I gave him 10s, and Nathan, you gave him a 9. Let's do interior offensive line, so we'll group guard and center together. Um, Nathan, what would you give that? Again, assuming, you know, you throw one of the tackles in there, but then also that's Harry Miller, Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler, that kind of group. What would you rate them? I mean, I, I'm i going to say like a 7, which I hope people understand, like relative to the 9 I gave the tackles is still a pretty high score. There, There's certainly questions about Harry Miller at center. There's certainly – questions about I don't know that you have the next guy who would play at guard is not necessarily as strong as the next guy who would play at tackle although that would be one of the people who's playing guard if that makes any sense so I still think seven is a really strong score for them that makes sense Stephen what do you have yeah I was at an eight for a lot of those same reasons it's the guy that who the guy you might lose from the starting tackle because he's moving elsewhere, you're just like, okay, so the guy replaced him is just as good or maybe better. You can't necessarily say that with the interior guys because, I mean, Josh Myers, he didn't have his best year, but he was still one of the better centers in the, in the, in the Big Ten especially. And then Wyatt Davis was one of the best interior linemen in the country, period. Yeah, I'll say seven also. I think we're all, we're all in the same kind of analysis there. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Let's do tight end when we come back. We're breaking down the offensive depth chart for 2021. You are listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, if you want to be a tech subscriber, always stuff going on. You can try it out at 614-350-3315. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. I haven't had a ton of them lately. Um, we'll take them. We'll take them if you got them. Actually, well, I'll just take them. I'm asking for them. We'd like another fresh round. Whatever you think. Throw it at us. If you've dropped the review in the past, we certainly appreciate it. But we'd like to hear from you guys uh, what you're thinking about the Buckeye Talk podcast. So go ahead and do that if you have a moment. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Tight end, man. We talked about it on uh, the NFL podcast on Tuesday. Jeremy Ruckert coming back is 
a game changer in that room. So what do you have for your two deep there, Nathan? I mean, to me, I thought this was fairly cut and dry. I mean, Ruckert's your starter. And then I guess it's Cade Stover as the number two guy there, probably over uh, Joe Royer or, or whatever freshmen are, are coming in behind him. No, Jake Hausman? We Is think Hausman sure coming back? back? I mean, he hasn't said anything either, so. That's why I'm not assuming that he's coming yeah. back. Yeah, I'm not assuming he's back either. Um, I'm assuming he's gone in, until otherwise. I mean, you've right. got, I know you have until March, but you've got to give some indication that your back is a, yeah. an extra full extra bonus year if you're going to do it. So I am not counting him in there. But I, I mean, like Cade Stover, Cade Stover too. I mean, it's not yeah. like, oh, but Cade Stover is an athlete. I don't know what he is. I mean, we know now what he is. But I don't know that there's any doubt about Cade Stover's raw athleticism and ability. It was a matter of what they were going to do with it. But then once they decided to make him a tight end, you know, he's, he's refining himself at the position. But, Stephen, I, like, I think this might work out as a really good pairing of Ruckert, who's done it all, seen it all, can do it all. And then Cade Stover, who they're like, okay, see this guy? You be the second guy with him. And then when he's gone, you do everything he does. Like, I think Cade Stover's got some real potential here, doesn't he? Yeah, I think this is uh, the one group 100%. I think it can be just as good as it was this past season. Without, And I can say that without losing any type of sleep because the athleticism Cade Stover brings to the table and what he's going to be asked to do is be Luke Farrell, which is a lot of blocking and – maybe once or twice this year, catch a pass. But other than that, he's going to be doing a lot of blocking, and he's a physical kid. Former Mr. Ohio football, who was a linebacker, came here as a linebacker and has moved all over the place now. And they're going to ask him to be physical and block, and Jeremy Rucker will be the pass catcher whenever they actually do throw the tight ends, even if it's only seven times a year. So, yeah, I, 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 this is the one group where you can't lose any sleep over because of that. I think but it I could mean, be a solid group. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say Cade Silver will step in next year and be as good as Luke Farrell was as a senior. Luke Farrell was really good at his job. Uh, I, like, I think Luke Farrell did his job every snap. I think Cade Stover has great potential. Um, and he's had a year. All he did was learn this position all year. That, I, mean, I don't even do Is he on the field at all? I according, don't to, according to our buddies at 11 Warriors, he took five offensive snaps. So this was just, this was just study, study, learn, learn, practice, practice. I mean, uh, like crash course in how to be an Ohio State tight end. And um, I, I agree with both of you. I think Cade Stover has great potential, I think, to expect him to play at Luke Farrell's level and, you know, not miss the block that, hey, you missed that block. And it's why Travion Henderson got dropped for a loss of two, where if it, you would have made your block, he might have had a 10-yard run. You know, like, I just don't know that, like, Luke Farrell, as a senior, like, ever missed that block. And I don't think Jeremy Ruckert ever missed that block, too. Cade Stover's never done it. So he might miss a couple of those blocks, but I think he has, it was a great move, Steven, as it turned out. I mean, this is what they do. It's what we're talking about with Enoch Vamahi, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. when you first heard the Cade Stover thing, they moved Cormonte Hamilton from tight end to defensive line, and they moved Cade Stover from defense to tight end. And it's kind of like, what are they doing here? Why are they doing this? And then it's like, okay, well, this is why they're doing it. And we've talked about the tight end recruiting. They have guys, I mean, they're leaning in, on, on guys coming in, they have Sam Hart coming in as a true freshman, and then they have two guys in 2022. So everybody, obviously they had to refresh this room, but 
Cade Stover is like an incredibly important piece in this tight end room. He's the, he's the bridging. He's like the only guy bridging the gap through from this great experience group of Farrell Ruckert Hausman to we got a bunch of young guys that we have no idea what the deal is with them. And Cade Stover is the one link kind of. Yeah. And it's almost a perfect link because link because of what that athleticism entails and what you're going to be asking him to do. He's perfectly, he's perfect to fit that role. Now we'll see if it translates onto the field, but just given what his raw athleticism looks like, that's I mean, the perfect guy you want in that job. So do we think, how do we think Nathan, this will adjust how much they use 12 personnel next year? Because obviously it's something Ryan day likes, but it's also something you do. You call plays and run formations based on your talent. Farrell and Ruckert were two of their best 11 guys this year. They're not going to be as experienced there. Will they, will they run 12 personnel a significant amount less in 21 than they did in 20? I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they ran it a considerable amount less. I think what you said there is important that if you're picking the 11 best offensive players for Ohio state, you would put Farrell and Ruckert ahead of someone like Jamison Williams. So it made sense to have those guys on the field a lot. I don't think you're putting necessarily Cade Stover as one of your, as the way I look at it right now, you don't assume that he's one of your best 11 offensive players next year over Williams or some of those freshman receivers. So that may, it may be that simple of an equation, but you're right. I mean, Ryan day does like it a lot. Um, I think it's, it's, it's one of the ways that the NFL influences I think the way that he calls plays at the college level but he may also look at what he has just from a sheer abundance of receiver talent and say how can we not put these guys on the field it'll definitely happen in the red zone I don't they did it all over the field though this past year I don't think I think we'll see it less in the middle of the field than we did in 2020 but in the red zone I yeah I have no doubt in my mind that we'll see a lot of 12 personnel out there and there's a lot of reasons to do 12 personnel, right? I mean, you get mismatches with the defense sometimes. Uh, it helps in the run game. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you have a young – if you have young tackles, sometimes it helps. So that they don't have young – like, they'll be fine at tackle. They don't need to have extra tight ends into pass protect or whatever. Um, you can really pound people in the run game sometimes with it. I mean, we all saw it. Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert were killing people in in with their blocking sometimes. So – you know, a lot of it is schematic, but they also will acknowledge who's on who's on the roster. And I, and I agree with, with what, what both you guys are saying. Let's rate the tight ends here. So offensive tackle, we had two tens and a nine. Interior offensive line, we had an eight and two sevens. Or do we need to – Do we? can we just say we all think Jeremy Ruckert's going to be great and it's just a matter of usage? He can yeah. do whatever. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to speed past the fact that Jeremy Ruckert's return was gigantic for this team. He has the ability to be a primary offensive weapon if they choose to use him that way. We have no idea how they will choose to use him. But one of the things is, I mean, if you the one thing with 12 and and I think we talked about this theoretically at some point and then it never really happened, it's like you want to turn your tight end into a slot receiver a little more often and split him out, but it's like, well, then Often you do that out of 12 and you have an inline tight end and then you split out one. But if you're not going to do 12 as much, Ruckert's going to have to be the, the guy on the line. And will he get to move around? I don't know. Who knows? But let's give 30 seconds because this is a big deal. This guy might have been the third best tight end in the draft if he had gone. Nathan, Jeremy Ruckert, how good is he? I think he's really good. I think he's a really good all-around tight end. I think that's the important thing here is that he answers – 
he helps this offense in a lot of ways. And I, I think what's interesting is if Olave hadn't come back, you could make an argument that Jeremy Ruckert was like the second most reliable receiving option coming back to this offense, right? Even though he doesn't get thrown the ball that much, but he's a guy that, I mean, he maximizes the few targets he gets. There are, there have been passes he's caught the last two years that other tight ends wouldn't have been able to catch, including in the national championship game, a great catch. So, he, you know, he, he puts a lot of good receiving film or he puts a lot of good receiving reps on film for a guy who doesn't get thrown the ball a lot. So I, I I'm eager to see if, if, if they go to less 12 personnel, what that means for his role, if that means it, be, it makes him less of a receiver or if they somehow use that to make him more of a receiver. I think if Jeremy Rucker literally put it in any other school, he'd be the favorite to win the John Mackey award this year. That's how good he is. It's just, he's not going to ever get the production to win that award here, but that's a pretty quality talent to bring back to your school, back to your program. It's always like, I've always imagined like the people watching at home when Jeremy Ruckert makes a one-handed catch and they're like, who's that guy who made a one-handed catch? Oh, that's Jeremy Ruckert. He's the tight end for Ohio state. How many catches does he have this year? 60? No, they've thrown him the ball seven times the whole year. Yeah, no, during the Clemson game, a guy that myself and and Joey Kaufman of the Dispatcher both worked with in the past texted us and said, man, have Ohio State's tight ends been this amazing all year? And I'm like, I texted back, they haven't thrown to him in two months. So somebody who's just watching that out of nowhere thinks that they're just like, oh my God, like I had no idea that Ohio State had like, two amazing tight ends. I'm like, no, neither did anybody else because nobody throws to them. Yes, they've been amazing. It's just nobody cares. Yeah. In practice, they've been incredible. Yeah. Oh, that guy, that guy has been sticking his shoulder into the ribs of Sam linebackers for three months. But yes, he also makes one-handed catches. If you let him, if you let him. Okay, so let's rate this. Uh, Ruckert, great. Stover, Super inexperienced, intriguing. Steven, what would you give for a rating for the tight ends? Uh, five and a half because, yes, the, the Cade Stover sounds great. Sounds good. And Jeremy Rucker is going to be awesome the same, seven times they throw him the ball. But, I mean, I, you just don't know with Cade Stover. And I think the, his development, you know, kind of opens up some things or it maybe shuts off some things that you were able to do last year. Nathan, what would you give this group? I'm going to say a seven just because of Ruckert's talent, but which is obviously higher than a seven, I would say, but because the depth is such a question mark, that's got to pull it down. You know, I'm giving him an eight, which is (laughs) higher than what I gave the interior offensive line, because I think the number one guy, I think Jeremy Ruckert is more of a sure thing at his position than any of the interior starting offensive linemen are at their positions. That's fair. Right. So I, I, and I understand the depth thing, but I think Stover's potential as a backup, if you kind of look at it, that they just need one starting tight end, right? And so, all right, now Stover as a backup compared to Enoch Vamahi, Luke Whipler, and Ryan Jacoby and Donovan Jackson as a backup. It's like, I'll take Cade Stover in that mix. Like, I think he's similar to Luke Whipler. He's like a top 100, top 125 national guy with a lot of potential who hasn't really done anything yet. Now, if you're really thinking, oh, man, they really would like to do 12, and now Cade Stover's almost like, you know, half a starter or two-thirds of a starter, now all of a sudden it's like, well, he's not, as a starter at Ohio State, he's kind of, he's a position switch guy who's Mm -hmm. played five snaps. 
But if you're thinking the one just well, a lot of 11, one tight end, I think I think they're in pretty good shape with Ruckert. As you said, we don't know anything. I couldn't name another tight end in the country, and I don't want to. Let's just call him the best tight end in the country. <laughs> he, he might get, he might be just talent wise, all around talent wise, he might be. But yeah. that doesn't. But as Stephen was saying, um, other other tight ends will probably be rated higher than him in terms of awards, in terms of things like that, just because he doesn't get used the way other tight ends do. Right. And then they'll go Has to the it. NFL draft. And he'll probably be the first tight end taken because they've all seen his practice film when they go good or good. But I'm gonna. But if he's the best tight end in the country, then I'm gonna give his position group an eight. So that's where I am on that. Fair point. All right, let's do running back. We're going to save the two biggies for last. But these are all good. It's not like running back's not a biggie. I will say, by the way, I forgot to mention this, I think, when we did the podcast on Tuesday about NFL decisions. Back in December, we did Master Teague. Will Master Teague stay or go? When we all said he would stay, but we put him on the list, which is just a reminder of like where, where we were with the Ohio State running back situation in December compared to where we were a month later. So the next was like two weeks later. So anyway, running back, very interesting. Trey Sermon gone. Damari McCall, we assume he's gone. Master Teague back. Marcus Crowley back. Steel Chambers back. Mayan Williams back. So four guys back, one of whom played a huge role this year, three of whom played like weird, tiny little roles for like five minutes each because Mayan Williams had his three-play explosion against Clemson, right? Steel Chambers had his early season, what was it, like third drive? Yeah, three plays. Who is that guy? (laughs) And then Marcus Crowley was thrown the ball on third and 10 in the national championship game on a huge play. So, and it was like, what? Who's 24? And I'm not, I mean, Marcus Crowley had a lot of injuries to come back from. So, and then Master Teague is Master Teague. So we have those four guys and I don't think any of them are the starter because they have Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor coming in. This is a six man running back room as it stands right now. Nathan Baird, what did you do with your depth chart here? So I, I kept master Teague in as the starter, at least on day one. And I put day, day one of games of like for the fall or are you, are you yes, thinking yes, about this yes, day one yes. of spring practice? No, no, no. Day one of the fall. Okay. That Opening was a, day. What's crazy is that's actually a good question to ask. And, and, and Trevion Henderson as the number two guy. Okay. So as you, as we use that as our starting point, what does that mean to you? Does that mean that, Travion, that Master T gets the first series, Travion Henderson gets the second series, and you are envisioning it as an older guy, younger guy, tailback split to start the year. And is, I know I, I it's just the depth chart, but like, is anybody else like legitimately in the mix to you? Because I, as you're guessing right now, like who gets the carries in that week one game? Is it just these two guys? Is there anybody else? And what's the split like? I don't assume that in that week one split, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to resemble Teague and Sermon. I don't think it's going to be a back and forth thing. I think master Teague starts this year as like the established reliable guy who's been doing it for a couple of years. Do I think by the end of the year that Trevion Henderson may um, force the issue and do something similar to what Trey Sermon eventually, 
mean, I don't know that he'll be running for 500 yards in a two game span, but like, do I think he may eventually burst through and be the guy who, who commands those carries? Maybe, but I don't assume it from day one. I think he'll be in the mix. I think he's the second guy, but I think as we've seen from Ohio state, I think there's some affection for master Teague on this coaching staff. And it's master Teague has been, productive to 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 a certain extent so it's just a matter of how quickly trevon henderson nudges that out of the way but i assume from day one that it's master teague's job okay hold on steven steven hold on hold on hold on hold on go ahead go ahead go ahead i I know you and i both have some questions loaded up here but i just want to make sure we get the baird foundation established first on this and the full range of thinking here do you think that's because like Trevion Henderson just like in in pre in the spring and then in preseason camp just will not sh- quite show it yet. Or do you think that they just lean older guy because he's older and Trevion Henderson is tearing it up in practice, but they're just gonna like ease him in and not go full bore on the true freshman off the bat. You know what I mean? I'm trying to like, is it that Travion Henderson didn't quite earn it or is it that he earns it, but they don't quite give it to him because of experience? To me, it's, it's a, not necessarily assuming that as talented as Travion Henderson is coming in, that there won't be some sort of an adjustment period for him. And B it's not so much that they're just deferring to age. I think it is um, deferring to the fact that master Teague has been a productive running back in the big 10. Like he, he I, I understand that he hasn't come in and been JK Dobbins, but it's not as if he's come in and been a failure there either. Okay. Steven, go ahead. <laughs> I think that I, I view this are, are view this differently than Nathan does. This is a really interesting discussion because listen, we've been here. One thing we, can, we can't pretend to know for sure what the, what the, Tony Alford and Ryan Day are going to decide. We don't know for sure. But what we're going to wind up doing here is talking out every side of this. And really, I do think, Stephen, right, there are two quite different schools of thought here. Go ahead. I think Master Teague is the starting running back when they walk in for spring practice. And I think there is a situation where if Travion Henderson goes in the – when he gets here this weekend, when they get here – and he's blowing everybody away the same way J.K. Dobbins was blowing everybody away all offseason. I think we go into the season. I think you're right. I think it's, it's a, I think Master Teague is a starter on day one because of unless he gets hurt, obviously knock on wood, and they give him some leeway. But I think by game three, Travion Henderson has forced his way onto the field. And that's that's giving it maybe that's even giving it, I think, too many games. Okay, so. What what is the main the main reason that Master Teague would be the number one running back in week one is because they're like because they're just trying to acknowledge seniority or because I think they want to see it happen on the field first before they give it to Travion Henderson 100%. They would want to see it in a game first, but I do think they will learn from the lessons. I want to give the benefit of the doubt there that they might learn from some lessons and they're not going to force that two back system on us for four or five weeks. I think they do it the first week to see if Travion, what if the things that Travion Henderson is doing in practice translates. And as soon as it translates, then listen, you're going to have to go with the best guy. And if the best guy is the five-star number one running back in the country, you give him the ball. Do you think that in preseason camp when they're fighting for jobs, do you think most of the time at Ohio state, what happens is the older guy begins the year as a starter because he's older and the younger guy has like been awesome in camp, but they're just 
slow playing it because they want to show it on the field? Or do you think most of the time the older guy is actually better? I think most of the time in a situation where there's a clear, clearly talented young guy, they want to slow play it. I think that's the thing. I don't think that's just an Ohio State thing. I think that can go across to pretty much any program in any sport. I, I don't, I don't not, know I'm why, not, though. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but, like, what's an example of that? What's an example of, like, the young guy that really should have started from the get-go and that they didn't and that they slow played? Because I'm, I'm, I'm just – I don't have an example of that in my yeah. head at the moment because J.K., that whole preseason was like, J.K.'s awesome, J.K.'s awesome, J.K.'s awesome. And now Mike Weber was also hurt. That's what so makes it hard. up the opportunity. Yeah. And I do think we're going to wind up talking about the Weber-Dobbins thing from 2018 a million different ways. But the thing that happened is in 17, when J.K. was exploding, Weber was hurt. And then you wound up in 18 doing the timeshare. And so we're going to – I think there are a lot of similarities between Dobbins and Henderson and Teague and Weber. And we know what they did, but so, but the Weber injury matters, but also you have to view that as, does that mean they will do the same thing they did? Or does it mean they won't do the same thing because they learned from that and said, you know what? In 17, it was mostly Dobbins because Weber was hurt and 18, it was both and it didn't work. So that's part of it too. Do they follow the precedent or change from the precedent and learn from it? I think the lease is just shorter. I think they give it a game. Okay. So, okay. You think, so you think that they maybe would come out of preseason practice being like Trivion Henderson's the guy and everybody knows it, but it's okay. We'll let master do his thing. And then we'll just make it obvious to everybody. So there's no hard feelings. It's, but also Minnesota week one is like a real game and Oregon week two is a real game. And I think maybe Trivion Henderson like pops a 46 yard run to help you win a game like that, that maybe Master Teague doesn't pop. So they're not starting with a Mac team where you have a little yeah. ease in time. They get real right away with the first two games. And let's not forget, there's other dynamics to this too. Like what, what is Trevion Henderson as a pass blocker or as a, a pass protector, like compared to where Master Teague would be in his third or fourth year in the program. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's other things like that that come into play. It's not just the top end explosiveness that Trevion Henderson, I think we all agree, has over Master Teague. I think, but, but let's also not, pretend that master Teague has been complete garbage here. I mean, he's been a productive running back. I just, I agree with, I think Steven and I are actually pretty, are a lot closer than his, his laughter might've led you to believe. No. I think, I think it's more who starts on day one may not be who's starting at the end of the season. Who starts? We on also day one? think, we also right, think right. they could lose to Minnesota. Yeah. And so but why think, wouldn't you play your best guys against Minnesota? So, uh, so Nathan, but again, the best question, guys is an all around question. And I understand. So, but, but what you are saying is you think week one, Master T gives them a better chance to win than Trevion Henderson does. Based on what I know now, today, yes. Okay. I don't agree with that. To the point with the pass blocking, I, you're right. I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not important to, to be able to do that as a running back. But also, Garrett Wilson couldn't block, run block to save his life as freshman year, and it didn't keep him on the field. So and he was I a regular make him a starter. He was a, and he was, but he was a borderline starter. I mean, he's, he was, I mean, you were, they were playing six, five guys that year. So you've got five starting wide receivers. Basically they just rotated them all in this situation. I think, see, now I'm, I'm coming back, Doug. I think you're right because of what the schedule is. I, I do think that they might just go, I, I think they might just throw trade about Henderson if he's being a world beater. Okay. Which I think he will be. Is. Yeah. No, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, he's got to do it, but here's what I think. I think Master Teague is a backup running back. 
I, I don't think like, so Nathan, you're saying he's been productive. He's not as good as the starting running back at Ohio state that Ohio state ever has. He's not that level. He's not as good. He's not yeah, as I good as JK that. Dobbins. He's mm-hmm. not as good as Ezekiel Elliott. He's not as good as Carlos Hyde. He's not as good as Beanie Wells. He's not like, he's not as good. So the idea of like, he's been a productive, that's not good enough. He's not good enough. He is not at the normal. And it's not like J.K. Dobbins is the exception. It's not like Ezekiel Elliott is the exception. That's the standard. And they dipped below that standard this year because all we talked about is how they had a recruiting miss and they wound up with like a weird running back room where they were kind of searching for it. And they found it by the end of the year with the flying karate kick guy who looked unbelievable. And it was because the other guy got hurt that they were forced to do it. And it's, but so, so here's the thing. There's two things to go to, to go into this. Now, Trey started slow. As you said, Nathan, Trey admitted it. We all knew it. I mean, Stephen, when you wrote the story, his people, Trey's friends and family knew it. He wasn't seeing holes. He wasn't being explosive. So you might say to yourself, well, if Trey Sermon, who had been the starting running back at Oklahoma, if he started slow, why wouldn't Travion Henderson start slow, right? That it took Trey Sermon broke Ohio State's record, but he had to ease into it because both of you guys are in various versions of the ease into it. You're not saying Travion Henderson is not going to be good. You're not saying Travion Henderson might not have 180 rushing yards against Michigan. We're just on the ease in debate. But I would say I think Travion Henderson's better than Trey Sermon. Like I don't like I don't even think that's a reasonable thing. I think what I think Travion Henderson's ability and total package is better than Trey Sermon's. He's not going to be coming from another system. He's going to start here from the jump, be ready to go. He's known it. They've brought him in here to do this. And Mike Weber, when they did the Dobbins Weber thing, Mike Weber was a big time recruit and came here to be the man. And then like he had some weird injury stuff, and then J.K. Dobbins passed him. But they, I don't know that anybody. I don't know that Master Teague ever showed up here and thought, well, I'm the, how dare, what? I'm the 300th ranked running, you know, recruit in the country. You can't make me the number two running back. I think Master Teague is a very good backup running back. And I think in 2021, he should go back to being that. Behind one of the best running back recruits that Ohio State has seen. So I think, I, th- I think you're right. So and I but think is he, he that on day one? But why wouldn't – I guess my question is why wouldn't he? If he's not, he it's because they don't want him. If he's not, that's on the coaches, not on him. But, like, what's, like, what's the yeah. difference? Like, why won't Trevion Henderson be ready? Now, again, I don't know. I hope, I hope practice is mostly normal. But if he has a mostly normal spring and a mostly normal preseason and he is setting people on fire, he's clearly more naturally talented than Master Teague. I mean, that – Master Teague would admit to that. It's only, only experience. And when you say productive, Nathan, I mean, it's like productive meaning what? Like he, he doesn't do a lot on his own. He hits holes that are there when he has a great offensive line. Trevion Henderson's going to do more. He's, he's, so I just think you go. Now, I don't like a timeshare. I also don't think that you just like ignore Master Teague. I would not guess or want, Trevion Henderson to carry it in the first series and Master Teague to carry it in the second series. But I might give Trevion Henderson the first three series and then have Master Teague throw it in. I think you, okay, Trevion Henderson, we're not going to like give you the ball 24 times against Minnesota, but you're clearly the starting running back. But if you have a 17 yard run, 
Master Teague's going to come in on the next snap to give you a blow, right? That like that kind of thing I think could happen, but I think it is best for the program. I think it makes the most sense. And I think it will happen that Master Teague will be the backup to Trivion Henderson and Trivion Henderson will establish himself as a number one running back for the start of the season because he's that good. And I hope it's not a share. So when you guys think about 18 and as much as we have talked about it, and, it, and as we watched even the Teague Sermon thing, which I don't think is any kind of precedent, but clearly they were trying to figure it out this year. Steven, does, does, does the Weber Dobbins thing make you think they'll do that again? And that Teague and Henderson is pretty similar, and so they'll do it again? Or that all those guys did all year, all J.K. Dobbins did in 19 was say, that didn't work. Will they learn from that and not do it to Trivion Henderson? I'll give benefit of the doubt and say they'll learn from that and they won't do it again. And they'll just go with whoever the best running back is. Even though two of the last three years, they've done the opposite of that. I think at this point, you've seen it not work twice. And so you can't keep running up that hill if you know it's not going to get you anywhere. Nathan, what do you think? How, what do you think? Is it precedent or is it information they learn and change from? Yeah, again, as I've said before, this past year and the Dobbins-Weber thing are not it's apples and oranges. That's it's you can't compare those two things. It wasn't that they went into this year wanting a a share of that job. They they had anyway, we've talked about it before. I, I don't think that's that's a fair comparison. I think they want one guy to come out and establish himself as the best running back. It's just a matter of whether they think Trevon Henderson as an all-around running back doing all the things that they want him to be able to do. I mean, you remember going back to before this season when we were asking kind of about the difference between Master Teague and Trey Sermon. Well, is it possible that one does this better and you could use one? And Kevin Wilson and, and Tony Alford and everybody pushed back on that and said, no, we need a guy who does everything. We can trust him in every role. We need a guy who can come out there and, and be a receiver and to pass protect and to carry the ball. We need the guy that does all those things. So is Trevon Henderson the guy who does all of those things better on day one than Master Teague does? That's the question I have. All right. So if we think that they are the top two, are we in agreement on that? Yes. That yeah, is Henderson that's how I see it. Okay. Steven, you agree with that? I, I, mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with it. I'm, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's what it'll be, but I don't, I don't have a better answer of what it would be like. Nathan, how does any of the rest of this fit in Marcus Crowley as uh, a third year guy, steel chambers, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor as a top 100 national recruit coming in with Trevion Henderson. Is that, are they just backups, Nathan? Like it's, it really is. It's, it's six guys deep, but I, I don't know what else they would be. I mean, all of a sudden it's getting really bloated in that room kind of. And the, 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 the difference between receiver, I mean, they don't have as many top end guys as the receiver room does, but also you can only play one of these guys at a time. So in the receiver room, as we're going to talk about pretty soon, you can probably find ways to maybe get other guys on the field. But for this room, I mean, if you're the fourth running back on this team next year, that's tough. I don't know when you play. We saw it last year. I guess we saw it in 2019 a little bit where Chambers and Crowley were getting carries in the fourth quarter of blowouts or whatever. But when once you start getting down to the fourth or fifth spot on this team, it's guys who probably think they should have a role, and I don't know how they get on the field. Steven, how do you think it shakes out with those other guys behind the top two? I think you'll randomly see them get put out there in games that are blowouts, or maybe you see a situation where if, somebody, if the other guy can't go, 
Meaning if, if there's something going on with Teague or something going on with Henderson and the other, and the guy who's out there needs a blow, you see them go out there for three carries or three snaps and that's it. And then maybe towards the end of the year, it's in the early year, you just give them all a chance, especially when you're playing these Matt games. But I think at some point, if there, you need to go to a third running back, it's probably going to be Evan Pryor as that third guy. Cause he's going to be your second guy going forward. So you just, you know, establish that that he's number three on this proverbial death chart but to start the season on those mac games it's, you're just see whoever randomly i mean i think it's good for someone like evan Pryor to come into a room like this though because i don't i don't assume again just he's he's more talented than those guys but when you're talking about guys who are in the program for a third season or whatever they have some advantages over that guy who's coming in as a true freshman so it just makes him work for it a little bit more but i think you're right i think he maybe emerges as that that next option over time by the end of the season that room's going to thin itself out at some point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're one of those guys, this is what happens where you sort of miss on some big dudes. And so you can sell guys like Pryor and Henderson on, Hey, there's an opportunity for you. And then they come in and the numbers are crowded, but you kind of have some guys in there. And I'm not, I mean, it's just, I'm just recruiting rankings and whatever you can emerge and be a star and not be a top 100 national recruit, but chambers Crowley, and Mayan Williams all kind of wound up here, not because they aren't good, but because of like, well, maybe they didn't quite dis- get this guy, right? And they really like Marcus Crowley. He was a Gatorade player of the year in Florida. They're really good players. But then you end up with like, okay, well, they recruited over you. And the numbers are so big because they had to get somebody. They had to get some guys in here while they were missing on Bijan Robinson. But then now that they have the best you know, Steven, the best running back tandem in this recruiting class, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody else in the country has two guys like Henderson and Pryor. Not even close. You're out of space. So you probably are going to have guys leave. I mean, Mayan Williams, again, we, we, I think we gave him the proper praise. I just, but I don't know what happens now, right? I mean, part of me thinks like, well, maybe Mayan Williams could be the third guy this year. And then like if Master Teague twists his ankle and maybe Mayan Williams is getting, ca- but, but what is that? Mayan Williams, I think could go carry the ball 20 times a game for like eight teams in the big 10. Right. So that's where you are, but he's just, I don't think he's ever going to be the guy here. So I think that room will, will thin itself out. Nathan, when we think about these six guys, Master Teague and Trevion Henderson in particular, one to 10, what's your rating for the running backs? Oh man. Um, I'll say I'll say seven. That's probably under. It probably should be higher. I'll say eight. Okay, that was your third seven out of four. Now yeah, I, I'm gonna and I'm gonna go eight. Steven, what's your really, number? You're not really high on this offense right now. <laughs> um, I'm no, I eight. just I I reserve my tens for like really special things. That's fair. I'm going to go with an eight and a half because I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. They're just going to throw Travion Henderson out there if he starts killing people. Yeah. Um, this the So, right. I mean, the, the experienced guy is fine. The young guy is potentially awesome. Um, but, and I'll just say, I mean, I think, so I gave the tight ends an eight because the old guy is awesome and the young guy is potentially good, but we don't know. So I'm going to give this position group. Cause it's not, I mean, it's not really in context. It's just about your group, how well your group does its job. You know, Ruckert's going to be Ruckert, whatever they ask Ruckert to do, he's going to do it at an extremely high level. He'll do it at a higher level than master Teague does running back stuff, which is not a slam on master Teague, but everybody thinks Ruckert's better at his job. Trayvon Henderson might be awesome 
but he's young. So I'm not going to give him. So I'm going to put like the running backs below where I had tight ends for that reason. I'm going to give him a seven, but I mean, show me Trevion Henderson breaking six tackles in the big 10 championship game while he runs for 183 yards. And then I'll say, okay, well that was like a preseason seven and now he's an in season nine. So I think that's absolutely there. So, but I do think in the end, it's like Steven and I are like, he's awesome. Play the freshman. And Nathan's like, well, he's never done it. And this guy has done it. I do think it's a merging of those two things, Nathan. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's a hundred percent either way. And it's up to Tony Alford and Ryan day to figure it out. But it's going to work. They're going to be good at running back because whichever way they want, because if they lean Henderson and it's like, oh, no, he's young, he's not ready. It's like, okay, well, then we'll just play Master Teague and Mayan Williams and Marcus Crowley, all of us. You know what I mean? Like, or, or if it's like, well, let's give Henderson a taste and see what he does and say, oh, he ran nine times for 212 yards. Oh, oh, well, we're going to lean into that. Right. Nathan, that like they can figure it out and then figure out what works best. But one of the things will work really well at the, maybe both will. And I'm, I'm well aware of what the limitations of someone like master Teague are. I just think that at, at this stage, you can afford to ask Trevion Henderson to be, to, to, to make him live up to like a more, more refined approach and wait for that because Teague is solid enough to kind of set that standard to start the season, if that makes sense. Acknowledging, and again, most of this is timeline, acknowledging the fact that the thing that we all thought changed Ohio State's offense and gave them a real chance against Alabama was their running game becoming not just productive, but explosive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was the difference. And it wasn't Master Teague making it explosive. Master Teague was productive. If they had only had a Master Teague-style running game, and they did. They had a Master Teague-style running game against Alabama because Trey Sermon got hurt and he had a couple good runs early. And then Alabama, I think just said like, well, I mean, we get it, but we're not really scared of it. Let's go after Justin Fields. And we saw the difference. So I do think they need, they know what that is, but to be truly great, they need more. And Trivion Henderson might be more. It's a matter of when he'll be more. Correct. Quarterback. Let's do quarterback. And then we're going to say, I mean, we're going to make you wait. We're going to make you wait for the receivers. Because there's 36 guys in the room. There's 36 guys. They're all five stars. Yeah, literally all five stars. I don't know the rules of football. Can you play eight receivers? Can you play two offensive linemen, eight receivers, and a quarterback? Is that allowed? Is that a football you play rule? Five. You can play five. Maybe we can ask somebody. Can we call it Ryan Day? How Ryan Day is turning the Big Ten into a seven on seven league. Yeah. Let's write that. He'd actually get mad at that. He would push back. Oh, yeah. that. Are you he saying we're not a physical program? Yeah. Um, he hates 707. <laughs> all right. But this is a great reveal. The fact that quarterback is not the most interesting thing. We're going to make Nathan Baird reveal who he thinks the starting quarterback is going to be in 2021. And that's the, that's the setup. That's the appetizer. But these are the Buffalo. This is the Buffalo blast appetizer of this discussion. Cause those are the best, as much as I love Chili's, the best appetizers in the game are the Buffalo Blasts at Cheesecake Factory. It's the hot buffalo sauce and the chicken and the cheese deep fried within the coating, within the breading. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You guys had the never buffalo had sauce? Never had them. Oh. I've never been to Cheesecake Factory. Okay. Okay. Emergency pod. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Oh my God, you've never, so you don't even, when people talk about Cheesecake Factory, their menu is like a book. You don't even know what they're talking about. 
I'm 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 kind of aware of that part of it. Yeah, I've heard those things, but for whatever reason, I don't think I've actually ever been to Cheesecake Factory. Stephen, have you been to Cheesecake Factory? I have plenty of. Time. There's one in Easton, and I've, there, there there was one walking distance from my hotel when we were in Florida. There's That's one right. at Easton and Polaris in uh in in Columbus. I can get I can yeah. get to two separate cheesecake factories in like eleven minutes each, which no joke is why I live where I live. But, I triangulated the the cheesecake factory distance, and I am at the perfect place where I am eleven minutes from both of them. But the other thing that I've heard is that it's pricier than what you know, like you would expect from like a. It's it not like fast casual. It's like, or even like chain. It's like, it's pretty expensive. So why wouldn't I just go to a legitimately nice restaurant rather than this place at the mall? No, it's, it's fake luxury. Place. Yeah, it's fake luxury. Like Red Lobster. Fake luxury. Which is, which, I mean, which is my entire. <laughs> right up, yeah. No, it, it tells you, it tells you everything you need to know about me that I grew up somewhere where like Red Lobster, like going to Red Lobster for their anniversary was like my parents' big night out. No, I know, but like, but don't say that dismissively. That a lot of people do that. That's where we we don't go to Red Lobster. We go to Red Lobster on Mother's Day and my wife's birthday. That's where that's what it is. So like, that's my my kids are going to sell the same same story you did, because but Cheesecake Factory is like that. Cheesecake Factory is not an everyday place. Cheesecake Factory is a special place. You know, like oh, Charlie's is an everyday place, but we can't go to Cheesecake Factory just on a whim. You've got to earn the Cheesecake Factory visit. You've got to have like you know, you had the lead in the play. You finished your sports season, but mostly it's birthdays and like holidays. So, but the Buffalo Blasts, when you go, get the Buffalo Blasts. I had them for the very first time, like twenty five years ago, when I went and covered minor league spring training in Arizona. And I had them there and they were a revelation. They remain a revelation to this day. I don't, I have not eaten something similar to them at any other chain restaurant. So highly recommend it. So that's what the CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller conversation is. Nathan, even though you've never had a Buffalo blast, go ahead and tell us who you think the starting quarterback is going to be. I mean, I guess just based on what we saw this season, I don't know how you could pick someone other than CJ Stroud as being the starter on day one this fall. And who's your backup? This is the only one where I did an or, and I just put the <laughs> poor or Miller. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not unreasonable. I mean, and it's, yeah. one of those, it's what Ohio State's depth chart is going to say. But as we yeah, always yeah. say, we don't care what their depth chart says. We can't, they, If C.J. Stroud's the starter and C.J. Stroud has to tie a shoelace, they're not going to have Jack Miller and Kyle McCord run on the field hand in hand together. One of them is coming in. So a depth chart exists. Right. So I get it. Easy decision for you on Stroud. Only because the two times that Justin Fields had to come out of a game in the first half this year, CJ Stroud went in for him. And I know all he did was hand off, but to me, that was one of the only pieces of data that we have to answer this question right now. So that's why I'm picking CJ Stroud. Nathan or Steven, do you agree? Yeah. And I think it's why Chris Olave is back because he knows it too. Um, because there's a, I mean, he wouldn't be coming back if he didn't believe in CJ Stroud, but also just the way that I'm, I'm, I remember um, that last fall, 2019 fall, um, and talking with Julian Fleming about getting thrown throw with CJ Stroud at the opening. And the way he talked about him was he had some high praise for, for CJ Stroud that I don't know if he would have ha- he had necessarily for Jack Miller at the time. So, yeah, I, I think with the way this season played out and then seeing them in person, especially at the national championship game, seeing how basically he was just 
holding on to Justin Fields' T-shirt everywhere he went. I, I think right now you have to say it's Stroud. Jack Miller, two more snaps than C.J. Stroud this season, according to the 11 Warriors snap count. Ten for Miller, eight, those, eight for Stroud. Yeah, so, but how many how came many on that first snaps? drive or that yeah. first game? Six, six of the ten. Yeah. So, but I mean, if, if we're counting, I mean, he's he, I mean, he's he's ahead. He has more experience than C.J. Stroud does. So uh, I don't disagree with anything you guys said. I think you have to lean that way. Um, it felt like right. I mean, just the way the recruitment went, it's like C.J. Stroud had the momentum, and Jack Miller would have had to like do something to pass him. And it's one of those things. It's like, and it's hard. And it's so Julian Fleming saying C.J. Stroud was awesome at the opening, right, Stephen? That's what you just said. Yeah. They kind of got, but Jack. Not before the offer came. But Jack Miller was hurt, right? Like Jack Miller couldn't. Like yeah, he threw, hurt. but he didn't compete in the seven on seven. He did some of the early stuff, but didn't couldn't finish the entire week. So it's like one of those things that, but again, like maybe if, you know, if Jack Miller was fully healthy, he would have been able to. Mm-hmm. So, so like the idea of like Jack Miller being behind, like stretches back to that right now, he's back healthy. These guys were in practice. We didn't watch a snap of practice all year. So they got a sense of things, right? I mean, they have an idea, as you said, they have an idea. The guy they don't have an idea about is Kyle McCord. So this is how it works. You, you, you know, you know the guy you know. You trust the guy you know. They don't know Kyle McCord yet. So, like, Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. knows Kyle McCord, and maybe Jaden Ballard will be in the Kyle, you know, the guy in their class. But right now it makes sense like this. And I do think whatever – there is something to be read into Chris Olave coming back and believing in the quarterback. And he's not believing in the quarterback theoretically. He's believing in it actual eye test, and it's probably Stroud. Kyle McCord could come in and blow the doors off the place, right, Stephen? Like, that is mm-hmm. – and I, I agree. I would do the same thing you did, Nathan, Stroud, and who knows that Stroud in the mystery is ahead right now. But that is that window legitimately has to be open for McCord in your mind? That's legitimately a thing. I, I think that a lot of these other receivers in, the, in that 21 class believe that as well. I mean, that's a five-star kid who – who wowed Ryan Day from the moment they met and both on the board, on the whiteboard and also with what he could do with his arm. And he hasn't actually seen him throw in person in almost two years now. So that starting from that point, watching that development, playing at a school like St. Joe's, that's a perennial powerhouse where he's playing for a quarterback guy as a, as a head coach in Tim Roken. That's a real possibility for him to come in here and just set the world on fire our spring and, and win that job. But the only thing we can all say for sure is I don't, I, I don't think all three of these guys will still be here. At the end of the spring. That's at the end of spring. Yeah. I think that probably so, is, is a good bet. It, it'll be a winner and whoever decides to stay. I would imagine it'll be a winner, the backup, and, and the guy who leaves and the guy who transfers. That I don't think two will leave. My guess, right? That, that, no, what I'm saying is the only guy I think would stick is going to stick around if he doesn't win this job is McCord. And that's because he's a okay. true freshman. Right, right, and he right. can come back. So it'll be McCord, whoever wins. It may be a grad transfer they bring in just to have an extra body in the room. Okay. We so so Nathan, just to 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 set this final thing as as you have Stroud first, is your basic thing? Of course, it has to be Stroud. If we're make, if we're forcing ourselves to do this now on January nineteenth, it's got to be Stroud. But do you have like a strong opinion on it, or is it like it's got to be Stroud now? But literally anything could happen. No, I, I don't have a strong opinion. This is a gun to the head kind of pick. You know what I mean? And you you base it again, like I said, off of just the very few data points that we have, um, which is just two, basically two handoffs that he made 
in, in two different games when Justin Fields had to temporarily leave. Uh, that, that's what I'm basing this entire decision on. Um, and I think I, I, it, it's going to be fascinating, right? This is going to be how many podcasts are we going to do starting in like March about this position battle? I mean, it's going to be almost a, like a daily update kind of thing that we're doing on this position battle because it's huge. I mean, this is, you know, we talked so much about Justin Fields setting the foundation and setting kind of the prototype and, and starting off what a Ryan Day quarterback is and this next era of Ohio State football. But this decision is is massive. He and Corey Dennis, I guess to a lesser extent, have to get this right going into the fall because of what has come back for them and what the potential is of this team. Okay, so we've established that baseline that let's say Stroud is the leader at the moment, but it's wide open and it's going to be a great competition in the spring. Fingers crossed for everybody on getting as close to an actual spring football and the spring game is just a showcase. I mean, it's really about what you're able to do in practice for those four weeks or whatever. How good could this quarterback position be no matter who wins? Because we figure, all right. I mean, it's not, they're not going to wind up with like, everybody kind of stinks. I guess we have to pick this guy, right? They're, they're young, they're inexperienced, but they're three talented guys. I think they're going to like the guy they pick. I think that is a safe assumption. So what are, as we sit here again in January, Stephen, how good could the quarterback play be for this team in 2021, almost regardless of who it is, because the guy who wins, it's going to be good. I think just raw talent. You're going to be one of the three best quarterbacks in the, in the big 10 for sure. Um, anything other than that, I think you're starting to reach and giving Ryan day a lot of credit for things that he's in the same spot. Lincoln Riley was in where he's developed all these quarterbacks that weren't necessarily his they were all, you know, either he just inherited them because he got here as an office coordinator or they were transfers. So I think starting from a baseline scratch, I think he can develop a guy into being one of the three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten and anything else is on the table just because the talent around this quarterback, we're, we're going to get to the wide receivers in a minute, and then the running backs and the offensive line. I think whatever learning curve you're going to see those first couple of weeks, you know, the, the margin might be wide for error just because of the talent around them might make some of those mistakes just look better than they are actually not, not look as bad as they actually are. So you wrote about this and I yeah. think it's going to be, and, and I, and I would like us to continue to sort of search out comparisons, right? Not that all of them are perfect, but it's like, well, another school that dealt with this kind of thing. Cause I do like, for instance, and, and everybody knows this, but like Michigan had like a three-way quarterback thing mm-hmm. going into the 2020 season with Joe Milton, Dylan McCaffrey and Cade McNamara. And it's like, okay, you kind of thought it might be Dylan McCaffrey. And then it must've become pretty clear. It's not going to be Dylan McCaffrey and he transfers. And then it's Joe Milton and Joe Milton like looks good for a game. And then it's like, Oh no, it's not Joe Milton. And then Cade McNamara comes in. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess like Cade McNamara kind of settled us down. But none of those in the end felt like a great choice. They were grasping for things. And now five-star J.J. McCarthy is going to come in and maybe win the job and be the guy as a true freshman in 2021. But they had three options, and I don't know if they ended up liking any of them. Ohio State has three options. They might wind up liking all of them. But the comparison, Stephen, that you have talked about and written about is, is Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. This year, Oklahoma opens with the win against Missouri State. Then they lose to Kansas State and lose at Iowa State. Now, it's not that Spencer Rattler necessarily has to be defended, 
They lost 38-35 and 37-30. It's not like they lost because the offense scored 10 points. But he was throwing some picks early in the year. And then Oklahoma runs the table. They beat Texas in four overtimes. They score 62 against Texas Tech. They score 62 against Kansas. They score 55 against a bedraggled Florida team in the Cotton Bowl and win 55-20. And then by the end of the year, everybody's making the argument, the way they're playing right now, Oklahoma is one of the best four teams in the country, the way they are playing. But they had the, they lost two of their first three games. Sort of just the way that the quarterback evolved and the way the team evolved. Two early losses and then looking really good by the end of the year. How much do you think that could be what this Ohio State season looks like? I think from quarterback, I think that's a good way to, to gauge it, where some early games against a Big Ten opponent and in a pretty decent you know, Power 5 school, who, whether it's Stroud, McCord, or Miller, they might throw some picks or they might make some bad decisions. They might take a bad sack. Just you know, some situations where, as a fan, you might be going, what is happening here? Are we going to lose this game? Now, I think the difference is – the weapons that they're going to have at the disposal. Oklahoma had some opt-outs, and also they just weren't as good of a team as Ohio State's going to be this year. And so I think that they might not lose the game, but knowing Ohio State fans and how a win you find, you can criticize a win as much as you can, there's going to be some criticisms and some, is this team good enough to win a national championship, even though they just beat this team by 21 points? That There's going to be a lot of worry. And I do think if you look at what, I think that progression of by the time you maybe get to that Purdue game or maybe even coming off the bye week going into the Rutgers game, you start to see it click for this young quarterback who literally has never thrown a a pass in a college football game. So I think you'll see that progression. And then maybe by the end of the season, when everything else is clicking, they might be right back in the position to be a playoff team. The the big thing, Spencer Rattler had three picks in week two in the Kansas State loss, which was their first loss. And that was like, oh, that was kind of like the talented young quarterback had a bad day and it made them lose the game to a team they shouldn't lose to. So I do think part of the – if the idea is, okay, Ohio State starting quarterback might have growing pains, it's like do the growing pains make you lose? Because the way the playoff works, if you lose, you might be kind of out of the playoff race. And then you might be in a spot where by the end of the year you're really good, but you're not going to be in the playoff. And as we said before – who knows what, what Minnesota is right now, but they start Minnesota, Oregon, Oregon and is Oregon, Tulsa. And Tulsa is for real too. I'm not sitting here predicting that Tulsa is going to beat Ohio state, but they are not starting Akron, Kent state, Bowling green. So that I think is what we're going to Nathan. Can you imagine us getting to a point where it's like, man, they're talented. They have some young talent. How long will it take to click? Because it's possible that like, the early season growing pains loss knocks them out of the playoff race while they sort out being an, a really good football team. Well, I think the one similarity I would say to what you're rattling off about Oklahoma was the, the possibility that their games at Ohio state could lose 38 to 35 and 37 to 30. Right. I mean, we'll talk about that more tomorrow, but there's a lot more questions still on defense that I have about this team than there is on offense. And I, I do say though, that it, it's, it's a little bit, We need to be careful when we say, well, Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley or whoever had success with first year quarterback X, 
because like even Spencer Rattler, I think he threw like 11 passes. He got into some yeah. games as a freshman. Justin Fields obviously played, had a, had a real role with Georgia as a true freshman playing against SEC competition. That is just not the foundation that CJ Stroud or Jack Miller or Colin McCord is going in the next season with. So is it possible that there is even a, a, a longer or rougher short period of acclimation for, for those guys? Possibly, because like you say, you're starting off with with real teams. I mean, Minnesota, I think everyone right now, if, if they were like a bowl team to start next year, I, I think that's not a shock to anybody. Oregon always has that possibility to be a, a player at some way on the national level. So that that's a tough way to start a career. And I think there's a lot of supporting talent around these guys. I mean, that that's the whole thing. I mean, Munford and Alavi coming back. No one in this world. I don't care how whatever Ohio State fan is listening to this right now, as happy as you were to get those texts from us, you were not nearly as happy as Jack Miller or CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord was because it makes their job so much easier next year. I could imagine a world where Ryan Day is saying things either in the spring or in the preseason where like, hey, uh, we did like six simulated scrimmages or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, like we we've been over in Ohio stadium all the time. We just played, you know, we, we took the black jerseys off the quarterbacks and we told the defenders don't murder these guys, but they're pretty live. And we tried to simulate games because these guys don't even know what it feels like to go on a field mm-hmm. and look at a defense with the crowd and try to figure out, you know, you got to change the protections. Like they've literally never done it that there really might be. And that's a, this will be interesting, Nathan. I'm sure we'll get into this kind of research in the off season. Like, has there ever been, I mean, cause there have been some true freshmen, right? I mean, there have been some true freshmen, but even Trevor Lawrence eased in as a true freshman. And by the time exactly. he was the starter, he had three games of like, well, they put him in a little bit. I'll be very curious. Has there ever been when that Ohio state quarterback starts against Minnesota, will he be the like most inexperienced starting quarterback for a top 25 team in 10 years. You know what I mean? Like again, and I'm sure there's still an actual true freshman who started week one somewhere. That's not right on the tip of our tongue right now, but not a gazillion, not a gazillion, right? Jalen hurts started as a true freshman, true freshman. And they won a national championship at Alabama. Cause so yeah, that, that's the only one. Off, and I just thought out of the top of my head. Cause I was look. the first thing I thought about was Tua. how many snaps had he taken before he got dropped into that game. And even he had had a pretty decent role as a backup quarterback. So Jalen Hurts is the only one. So that I can think of. So, you know, it's not impossible. That's the thing. There's, they're so talented. There's so much talent around them. They're so well coached and Ohio state is so much better than everybody else in their conference. It certainly could be the case, but man, they sure haven't done it very much. All right. Let's try to rate the quarterback. I mean, it's who, what do we know? but we're rating every other position. Nathan, what would you rate this quarterback group right now? Oh, man. Uh, six? He, squ- he, like, scrunched up his face. He, he could barely get that, that I understand, out. And I, I perfectly – I understand that I'm a tough grader, so that's why we have three. I'm like the East German judge, and then somebody else gives theirs, and then that's how uh, Nancy – Kerrigan still wins gold or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Steven, what you got? I think I'm at a six because I don't know who the starter is. <laughs> so it's hard, you know? You can't. It's just so much uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm at a six, too. That's my number three talented I mean, guys. Okay. It's I feel just, better. You know, yeah. They're three talented guys. It's just, uh, you don't know. <laughs> One of the guys Ryan hasn't seen thrown in person in, in two years. So I, 
if you're higher than a sixth, I mean, you kind of being a homer at that point. I mean, listen, because like, you know, for, for instance, so we're grading the quarterbacks lower than we're grading the running backs. Right. But the whole point is like, well, the running backs have Trevion Henderson, but they also have a veteran guy that you would know at least is going to be solid. And all the quarterbacks have is three Trevion Hendersons. So that's great. But what, like, I don't like, there's nobody there who's like the, the backup plan. If the young guy's not quite ready, the young guy has to be ready. So again, we might be at tens by week three, but I yeah. think a six in January makes a lot of sense just because of, of how inexperienced they are. All right. So you've been waiting. You, I want to ask a real quick one. Like which would you rather have as a quarterback room right now? Like the equivalent of a master Teague quarterback and one young guy who challenges him, or would you rather have three young guys? Because you would think that one of those three young guys would have to hit, right? Yeah, I'd take the young guys just given what's around it. I would trade – so then this is in between. This is like a Nathan Baird answer. So you're saying would you rather have one veteran and one young guy or three young guys? I'm saying since you have three young guys, I'd trade one of the young guys for Kenny Guyton. Well, that okay, but that wasn't – That wasn't. But, 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 you, but you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, you're making it a, a more interesting equation, Nathan, because it's like, all right, are you betting it all on one young guy? And if you happen to have like the wrong young guy that doesn't quite pop, now you've just got like kind of the average veteran and that's all you've got. Whereas you're not going to go oh for three on the young guys. So I guess if given your thing, Nathan, I'd rather have the three young guys. Like but, what would be the master Teague equivalent of court? It would be like Jack Cohn, something like that. I don't want I know Jack it's not Cohn. Ohio state guy, but you know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to think of who would be the master Teague of quarterbacks. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I uh, think Kenny Guy, I mean, like modern day, right right now, an actual guy, I don't know. I have no Gunner idea. Hope. But no, better than that. But, no, like, no. I, but like somebody that, like Kenny Guyton, I think is a good example. Like a veteran yeah. guy who who's not going to like ruffle feathers if he doesn't win the starting job, but is like going to be absolutely capable of giving you solid to very good quarterback play. And in the meantime, will help all those guys in the room. I think that could be, that would be really valuable to have a guy like that right now. And they just, they just don't, which is fine. Jack Cohn, by the way, is like Jack Cohn, who is the next Wisconsin noodle arm to me is like going to be Notre Dame starting quarterback. So like, I don't understand quarterback play. Right. I mean, he transferred to Notre Dame and he's going to replace Ian book. I don't know who else Notre Dame has coming in, but they didn't get, I don't, they didn't sound like when you were reading that stuff, it wasn't like they were getting Jack Cohn to be like, Oh, he's going to be our third string guys. Like, no, they're getting Jack Cohn and they're excited about it. But also, but also, 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 and I don't think it's again in the comparison business. You look for things with moderate similarities. Graham Mertz was supposed to be awesome and had a lot of trouble in year one. Had a lot of trouble yeah. in year to one. To be fair, they had an outbreak right after he showed that he might be awesome. So, well, but that, again, that wasn't even his true freshman season. I think he even had a little bit more under his feet than these guys will have this fall. Right. But, but I mean, if he's slightly similar to CJ Stroud and Jack Miller in that he had a year where he wasn't the guy, but certainly he had more experience than, than they did. But, he was good, but then I, I yes, they had the outbreak and got crazy, but then he was just he was not good at the end of the year. So anyway, it's not a guarantee, but I think it's certainly I mean, every Ohio State fan listening to this, I think, is already doing it. They don't need a reminder from us to do it. Assume they're gonna be good. Assume the winner's gonna be good, but assume it somewhere less than a hundred percent certainty, right? Or assume it less maybe than a hundred percent certainty that they'll be only awesome from the jump they might have some growing pains but i don't think with as much as they have back 
the quarterback is not going to like hold back this offense for a whole year. And they actually might be like awesome kind of quick. All right. Receiver time. That's next up. Buckeye talk. Back on Buckeye talk. This is, we're not going to get to anything else on this episode, which is why we're breaking up offense and defense because we're like an hour 45 in and we haven't even gotten to the receivers and the receivers on their own or an hour long discussion. And we're not going to go an hour, but there are so many multiple things here that we have to decide. One of which is, is there a rotation? Is there not a rotation? Are the are Wilson and Olave who took all the snaps at their positions practically this year? Are they going to do that again? Is there going to be stuff that opens up? And then if it does open up, who behind them fills in? So Nathan, we made you do it. You take it. What does your depth chart at receiver look like? And I'll be curious where you maybe have some oars or don't have oars. So my depth chart, I have the starters the same as it essentially was this year. Olave and Williams on the outside and Wilson in the slot. Now, obviously, if they are doing 12 personnel to start a game, as they often did this year, then Olave and Wilson would be your starters. And then the backups, Fleming and Scott on the outside and Jackson Smith and Jigba at slot. So that actually didn't sound that hard. That was kind of easy. I thought it was, it was the really same easy. as last year. Basically. I mean, I did. But isn't it like I don't know. Yeah. what I mean, now, the one thing I will say, the one thing I will say and I, I don't have enough confidence in it to like put it down here for the day one of next year. But like I could easily see someone like a Julian Fleming or even they could decide maybe even Jackson Smith and Jigba is the third best receiver and should be on the field as a priority over over um, Williams. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Jamison Williams was was I don't know. He was OK this year. He didn't get a lot of opportunity. I, I, I don't know. Somebody could beat him out. I don't know necessarily steve steven where is this exactly what you would have done is this what your six would have looked like yeah to go across the board and put three guys at each spot olave fleming harrison at one outside spot william scott and ballard at another outside spot and then wilson uh jsn and emeka in the slot that's what i would have gone with in that order emeka's a slot emeka buka the the he could be a slot same kind of build as uh garrett and jackson he could be in the slot Okay, so again, reminding everybody who is in this receiver room. Um, we don't know really what's up with Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner, who were redshirt fourth-year juniors this year but did not have a role. But as of now, they're on the roster, but they're not in the discussion. Harris Chris may Olave- have been injured. I don't know that he was active. Harris was-, was injured the last month, but he wasn't going to be active anyway. So then we have uh, Chris Olave, who's back as a senior, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, and Cameron Babb as juniors, Julian Fleming, G. Scott, Jackson Smith, Najigba as sophomores. So the only guy that was not mentioned that, that we could factor in somewhere that wasn't in your too deep, Nathan, is Cameron Babb. And he, yeah, had, and I- he had 31 snaps this year, just real quick on the snap counts. Um, he, he had slightly more. He had 31 snaps. G. Scott had 14, for instance. So – he could yeah. factor in. He but might also, actually deserve that as much as, as Scott does. I that, could be an or. that would be a good spot for an or. Yeah. I also think that um, that Big Ten championship game is where I think the majority of those snaps came, and I think G. Scott was on, under protocol during that point. So, so I think that would have been an interesting thing to see who would have actually gotten those snaps had G. Scott been available. Yeah, I mean, Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigbo are both – I mean, Olave and Jackson Smith. Right, right, right. So, just, yeah, so right, it's like, right. yeah. No, you're right. 19 snaps for Cameron Babb in the Big Ten championship game, 
when G. Scott, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Chris Olave were out. So, so Bab and Scott, neither of them had a role in the normal situation. So, so what this works out, and you, you know, so the Mookie Cooper transfer was was opened up a spot. If you just don't think those those veteran guys are really going to factor in, so then what it leaves you with is a pretty smooth top six. With Cameron Babb, you have really seven guys for this for this six man rotation. Olave Williams, Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith the Jigman, and then like G Scott or Cameron Babb. And then you have the three true freshmen lined up behind them as like third team. And it really is a pretty smooth 10 man everybody lined up here. So actually making the depth chart is not that hard. Distributing the snaps <laughs> is where it gets very interesting. This year, Garrett Wilson, 471, according to 11 Warriors. Please go read their snap count chart. It's wonderful. Chris Olave, 441, but he had the whole game he missed. So if he had played, he would have. they would have wound up with around the same number of snaps because, like, Wilson played extra snaps. He played 73 snaps when Olave mm-hmm. was out, when most of the time they both play, like, 55 or 60. Jamison Williams, 308. Jackson Smith Najigba 163, Julian Fleming 128, but 52 of them were when he had to be Chris Olave against Northwestern. So the rest of the time, Jack Julian Fleming's playing 19, 12, 21, 14, and like he played three snaps against Alabama. That might be the best way to really break this down. Against Alabama, when everything was on the line, Wilson 52, Olave 62. Jamison Williams, 40, Jackson Smith, Najigba, 23. And that was basically it. They only played four guys. So it was not a rotation this year. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were basically on the field as long as they could not be exhausted. They were subbed out on occasion. Garrett Wilson, maybe a little bit more, but okay. So they're not playing a hundred percent of the snaps because you get tired. What's the what's it going to be? We have seen the six man rotation in the past. Steven, how can you go from Olave and Wilson not being in a rotation this year and now they come back and they are in a rotation next year? What's this going to be like? So here's my argument for why it might go back to what we're used to seeing here. Um, There's no longer that pressure of you have to look awesome because you're playing less games than everybody else. So you have to look like world beaters every time your offense is on the field. It's back to as we, as far as we can consider, things are going to get back to normal here, and they're going to have the normal twelve game schedule and the thirteenth game for a Big Ten championship game. So you don't have to have your your pedal to the metal all day long. And so I think you can. And also, these guys are going to get a normal spring and a normal fall and a normal season to progress in a way that you didn't have time for last year. You just had to go with the two guys you knew, and that was Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson with your Heisman level quarterback. That's not necessarily the case this year, so they might be a little bit more lenient but also those two are awesome so why would you go away from that when you don't have a Heisman level quarterback and you've got a first year starter and you might just need to make sure he gets the ball to the best two guys so it's both situational that everybody's going to have more time to practice and you're going to have more games so you don't have to jam in the snaps and then the other part of it is the backups aren't true freshmen they're sophomores now so they're going to be better and more reliable Nathan what do you think I would still expect the lion's share of snaps, the lion's share of targets 
I think that's the important thing too. It's not just the snaps. It's the targets that are really heavily in, in Wilson and Alave's favor. Uh, I would expect that to still look about the same. I think the question is, what do they do with that third spot? How much do they use that third spot? Again, that goes back to the 12 personnel conversation we were having with the tight ends. There were just so many instances last year where you're only you're taking a receiver off the field to put a second tight end on there. If you do that less, that opens up more snaps. That opens up more targets. So that's kind of the X factor to me is, is number one, does one of these freshman receivers jump up and sort of demand to be put ahead of or equal to Jamison Williams. And that becomes a rotation and then B just what, how does Ryan day construct this offense? How does he design this offense and how does he just use the personnel between that balance between receivers and tight ends? Well, I mean, I do think the snaps is more important than the targets, though, because you can't have a target without a snap. And once you're on the field, you know, they're not it's X, Y and Z. It's not like the quarterback is looking at the X and it's like, oh, it's Julian Fleming, this snap. It's not Chris Olave. So I'm not going to throw to him now. Also, the veteran guys who are better get open more. So that's Mm -hmm. part of it, too. It's not it's not completely even, but you got to get on the field. So. I think I might agree with a lot of what Steven is saying that situationally they got away from the six man rotation for a bunch of different reasons. Basically the shortened season, we want to showcase our guys who are veterans and we believe in them. And the young guys are true freshmen who don't even know what they're doing yet. And all those things are different. And so you could go back to this and maybe again, maybe with Jamison Williams, Jamison Williams can be rotated. However, they decide to do it right whether it's you put Smith and Jigba in the slot half the time and then Wilson slides out to Williams and that's not their rotation, or whether it's G. Scott or Julian Fleming is just in a rotation for Jamison Williams, that would make sense to me that if Jamison Williams this year had double the snaps of – I mean, he had double the snaps of of anybody below him. Yes, Wilson and Olave played more, but Williams had 308, Smith and Jigba – who had the one missed game, 163, and Fleming, 128. I would guess, Stephen, my assumption at the moment is that that evens out, that Jamison mm-hmm. Williams has the sa- is really rotating with a guy at his spot next year. Is that, a, is that an assumption, at least? That, that's at least the fair thing. If, if those two are by themselves on an island, then yes. At the very least, J-Mo's re- rotating with either G. Scott, Julian Fleming, or they do what you said, you know, put Garrett back outside and put Jackson on the field. So then it's just a matter of, how do Wilson and Olave rotate? And I think they're probably both too good for it to be 50-50 the way it was, you know, in 2019 when Garrett Wilson as a true freshman was getting the same number of snaps as, as Austin Mack or Ben Victor, right, as the veteran guys because, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are a lot better than Austin Mack and Ben Victor. So is it like three series to one series? Is it just the veterans just play until they're tired and then you put in a younger guy or, or is it not even, is it just, you just do it. I don't know. You just do it. You just feel how you do it and you work it out and it's not that big a deal, but they're clearly the starters and they're the backups. And that's how it is. Like maybe, are we making too much of it, Nathan? It's like, well, of course, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave will play more, but the backups will play some and it'll all work out and it's no big deal. Uh, there's some of that is, is how I'm thinking about this too. I mean, again, my, I'm only, I've had two seasons of experience watching Ohio State football on a day-to-day basis. And you, what they had this past season, there might have been more promising, a bigger glut of promising talent coming up behind the first string guys. But the first string guys this year were a different level than the first string guys they had my first year here, the Victor, Mac, um, 
KJ that Hill. kind of yeah KJ Hill that collection of guys so just as far as what they were at their ceiling so now you've got kind of a mix of both you got the younger guys taking another step but you still have the two guys who are clearly I mean it might be the the best two-man receiver combination in the country or arguably right it's going to be in the conversation so I, it's difficult for me to take those guys off the field maybe especially because you have such a young quarterback that you know uh, last year you could have used Justin Fields to maybe make some of these younger guys look better um, as far as the receivers this year it's almost got to be the opposite you I mean, maybe you need those those veteran receivers on the field as much as possible because that helps the younger quarterback two things one Antoine Jackson's coming back so that's some defensive tackle depth there, but um, I, it makes me want to go look at Alabama in, in 2019 when they had that deep room and see what that snap distribution was like, because it's not it, take the names away, but the idea of you've got this much talent in the room, but there are two guys who are clearly the best two guys, but the guys under them are probably really good as well. What does that look like? How did they distri- distribute that in a way that the two best guys still played the most snaps, but everybody was involved in the offense. Is there an 11 Warriors, Alabama? Yeah. That's what we need. Do they have a set? Who's the, who's the snap counter at Bama? And what did they do when they had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell? I don't know what they did. Um, Antoine Jackson back is interesting. It's again, this, this fifth year thing, it's, it's crazy, but like that helps the depth of defensive tackle for sure. It's another guy in the mix. I mean, he was a rotational defensive tackle this year. And so we'll get to them on the, we'll get to him on the defensive podcast uh, tomorrow. This actually is not that interesting. I thought this was like, you know, what are they going to do? They have too many good receivers. It actually lines up pretty good. And the one thing, Stephen, is the freshmen just aren't going to play. And like last year, there was a lot of like, well, how much will Julian Fleming and Jackson with the Jigma play or whatever. But now there's so many guys in this room, Egbuka and Ballard and Marvin Harrison just know what's up. They're third team. And there's just no expectation. They're not in. We, I mean, Julian Fleming, I mean, here we're talking about, I mean, that the, that the snap rotation, you know, wasn't all that equal. But, you know, at, at receiver, the guys who played the fourth and fifth most snaps at receiver were true freshmen. And that won't be true next year. These three freshman receivers who are just as highly rated as the, the class ahead of them, they're not, there's no freshman who's going to, they're going to be like eighth, seventh and eighth and ninth. If that right, Steven, that, that at least that part of it's going to change. They, and they have to know that they know the deal. True freshman receiver, you learn, you watch, but you are not playing. Yeah. I mean, this is what highly recruiting, high recruiting looks like. It's, it becomes a conveyor belt. So now if give how things line up, Next year, there'll be the twos and the rotating guys with Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Julian Fleming, and, and G. Scott, and maybe J-Mo. And we'll see how many they take in 2022. They might – they're probably – they're, they're going to take another guy, but we'll see if they take three. But the idea of, as at this point, Brian Hartline keeps bringing in top 105-star receivers. Your freshman year, you sit there and you learn from the guys who are older than you who are also top 105-star receivers. And then you get on the field for two years, and then you get out of here. And then the next guys come behind you and do the same thing. That you go from like kind of nothing to some kind of rotation, maybe not an equal rotation, but on the field to the guy. And that's your thing. But maybe you really only have one year of being the guy if you're going to go pro as a junior, but that's the plan and you're cool with it and you're in a great room and that's how it works. That's the Devonta Smith plan. Literally. He didn't do anything until that national championship catch. And then he was a rotational guy. As a true freshman. As a true freshman. Yeah. Then sophomore year, he's a rotational guy. 
And then he just won the Heisman. All right, that, I, that didn't take that long. It's simple. I don't know. I don't know why I was so freaked out. I, people may notice, like I, when I said we were talking about this on the Tuesday pod, and I was like, "Are we sure? Like, is the offense really that complicated? Like, I don't know. It seems kind of cut and dry to me." And then the, the usage is more complicated than the actual names on the sheet of paper. I think it'll be interesting to watch once the season gets here, and maybe even if the world gets really normal, we can actually go to practice. But on paper, it looks pretty simple. We should do snap count predictions for the receivers before next season, right? To That's see, a market like, down Monday for sure. Yeah, because it's like it is. It's not about necessarily the rotation, but how rotating it is. Um, okay, well, simple. Good. Like, let's let's rate the receivers. Steven, what would you rate this receiver group? Uh, I'm giving this a 10 for sure. And he, he, I, I was at a nine and a half before Chris Olave came back. This is going to be the no stuff, but – I mean, you've got all the same weapons that you had last year in a passing attack that was ridiculous. Yeah, that's a 10. Uh, and like Jackson Smith Najigba, really, uh, he really flashed a lot of stuff yeah. in year one in a, in a pretty limited role. He really might be ready to show you what he is in like a, a really important way. And that that could be the guy that, if you're talking about, okay, they're going to do less 12 personnel. And what does that mean? I think it might mean like the Jackson Smith and the Jigba explosion, right? Just more opportunity for a guy like that in particular. That kid is used to catching a hundred passes a year. And so last year was probably the weirdest year of his football life. So yeah, an ex- extended role for him. We might see it. I'm not going to say it's Garrett level explosion because it's not going to be that type of um, usage for him, but the idea that he has that type of um level of production and effectiveness on a game when he does get targets thrown at him isn't going to surprise me at all. All right. I'm a 10 also, Nathan, what are you? Yeah, I think I could talk myself into a 10 here because I don't know that you don't have a, a, like I was talking before about the offensive line with like the Orlando pace scenario. You don't necessarily have an Orlando pace in this receiving core, but you're just so deep. Like you can get, you can imagine like losing somebody and, and having someone else just emerge and be great in their place. It's just, there's just so much depth. I think you have to go 10. I mean, if the Orlando pace thing is like, do they have the best receiver of all time in the room? Maybe no, that might be true, but they, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Right. I, I, Steven, I did not mean to imply that Garrett Wilson might not be the best receiver of all time. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings here at the end of the podcast, but they have two all American candidates. So, like, I, I would push back a little bit, Nathan. They have the top end, and they have the depth. I don't know what else you would want in a receiver room unless, like, Devontae Smith was coming back. But Chris Olave is kind of as accomplished a receiver as you will see return ever in college football. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's a little bit too far. But, I mean, like, right? I mean, these are two – guys who played at a near All-American level this year, and they're both back. So I think their top end is as high as it could be. I don't know how they could be better in returning guys. I, I think you – I understand what you're saying there. I guess an in for devil's advocate, I would also throw in they had a All-American caliber quarterback throwing to them. We don't know that they will this fall. No, 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 but that's not the – that's not yeah, – but this is it's about the room. This is just about the room. Oh, well, but you're talking about – right, but you're talking about compare, their production, which was based on who they had throwing the ball to them, at no, least in part. I, to well, compare to about, another t- team who also had a similar type of room, we didn't know much about Mac Jones 12 months ago either, but we knew Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith were pretty good. 
No, and I'm, but, but I'm not talking about production when I'm doing yeah. this rating. I'm talking about talent and depth but then I of also, talent. I also wouldn't compare Alive and Wilson to Smith and Waddle yet. But I – well, I think you can compare them to what Smith and Waddle were going into this season. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't compare them to what Smith and Waddle turned out to be mm-hmm. this year, but I think you can compare them to how they were thought of a year ago at this time. I think that's I think that's yeah. pretty darn fair. I mean, I still I gave him a ten. I don't know what you guys want from. No, 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 no. Yeah, here, here, this is what I do. <laughs> it's the, no, because it, it was like a ten with a butt. It was like it's a ten, but you know, it was a very it, bare ten. Yeah, it, it was a, it was really a nine point nine 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 nine. That is a good. We call. We always are talking about like when we should put stories on the site because you want to put up good stories and you want to have interesting headlines on the stories. And of course, what matters most is the content. That's really all that matters. But if you write a great story and nobody reads it, then it's kind of missing the point, right? So we do worry primarily about the content, but we also do talk about a fair amount about trying to get people to read it. And the two main things about trying to get people to read one of your stories are putting an interesting headline on it and putting it up sort of at the right time on the site. And so a lot of times you don't just want to throw something up at like 3.30 in the afternoon kind of randomly. So we put up a lot of stuff in the morning. We put up news when it breaks as it happens. But then there is this thing we call the Baird window, which is sort of like after dinner, you know, like let's try to put a story in there. Sometimes stuff pops. Nathan had talked about that he had some success in his previous stop putting that there. So we call that the Baird window. And I now, now we have the Baird 10. It's like, oh, wow, that's a 10. It's like, well, it's a bared 10. <laughs> like, it's, it's, a, it's a like, yeah, but I mean, it's not, the, it's not the greatest in the history of all time. So it's like, no, I know, I know, but it's a bared 10. So I like the idea of having a bared 10. That, I'm not, that doesn't offend you. You're the, you coined the term, Nathan, yeah. the bared 10. The bared 10. <laughs> all right, we'll be back. We didn't get to do anything else on this podcast, but I think people – I think that was good. I think that's what people wanted. They're good. Let's let's do let's give the 30 seconds. So let's I'll run this down and then we'll give our 30 second overall offensive synopsis. Offensive tackles 10 10 9. Interior offensive line 8 7 7. Tight end 8 7 5 and a half. Running back 8 and a half 8 7. Quarterback 6 6 6. Receiver 10 10 10. Steven, what's your overall 30-second – we're only going to do it for the whole offseason – 30 seconds on your overall evaluation of the offense as it stands? I think this offense is going to be fine. Even I know I gave the tight ends a five-and-a-half, but that's based on something that I will gladly be wrong about if, you know, Cade Stover comes out here and he's perfectly fine and he's, you know, to a level at least somewhere in the same hemisphere that Luke Farrell was. I think the offensive line will be great. The offense – the weapons at wide receiver are awesome – it's up to Tony Alford and Ryan Day to learn from the mistakes of the past and just put the best running back on the field. And I think they're going to be fine at quarterback. I don't think this is going to be a fall off year where they lose two or three games because their quarterback plays is not where it needs to be. I think there's enough around this quarterback to help it as it progresses throughout the season. And I think the numbers should be pretty similar to what we've seen with Ryan Day play calling here. Nathan, what you got? I mean, in a lot of ways, I don't. I think I go into this season just based on looking at this. I mean, this offense could be essentially as strong as it was this past season. 
when you look at what this offensive line is going to do for this running game, when you look at the the weapons that are going to be available for what we think is going to be a, a talented first-year quarterback, regardless of who they put him with. Um, but I also think that this offense, you know, we, we've been in the last year thinking this offense might have to score a lot because of this defense. I'm, I'm leaning that it may not have to, may have to score even more like that. The, the onus may be even more on this offense going into next year. Cause I just, there, there, I do still have just a lot of questions on defense. I think I feel better about this offense right now than I felt about the offense a year ago. And that was the Justin Fields offense. I think doing this made me realize how good this offense is because they're three Olave Wilson and Ruckert back. I mean, so they're all bet. I mean, they're all going to be even better. So we knew they were good. They showed how good they were and only, you only expect more the offensive line. I mean, we had questions about tackle a year ago. We weren't exactly sure the tackles played awesome and they're back and they're adding Paris Johnson. So like the offensive line, even losing Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, I like really might be awesome. And I think Travion Henderson is more of an answer at running back than what they had a year ago. Trey Sermon looked great by the end of the year. I think they might have that all year. So the only area where they're worse is quarterback. But what Steven said, and I think we all agree, is like that quarterback is going to have so many weapons. He is going to be set up to hit the ground running. They are not going to make him save the offense, even in the way that Justin at times in his career sort of had to save the offense on his own. You know what I am not worried at all about right now at the moment is like the quarterback run game. I don't know. They don't need the quarterback to run at all. I mean, I'm sure CJ Stroud could. I'm sure Jack Miller could. I'm sure, I'm sure Kyle McCord could. I don't think any of them will run as well as Justin did, but who cares? A lot of that, it just depends. I mean, I'm so in on Trevion Henderson. I mean, a lot of the people are, you should be, but if he's ready from the get-go with the, what they have back from pass catchers and the, and the five stars lined up on the offensive line, crazy good. Could be crazy good. Defense will be interesting. Defense will be interesting. We'll talk about that on the Thursday pod. We appreciate you guys hanging with us. Uh, make sure you're reading clim.com slash OSU for all the kind of this breaking news. As Steven just said, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. Antoine Jackson's Antoine Jackson's coming back. We'll talk about that more on the defense pod. And and try the texts. 614-350-3315. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. Thanks for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>